Welcome to Wizards of Oz. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And like I've said before, this podcast will be about me interviewing all my friends that I went to with at SUNY Oswego, the experiences we've had, the experiences they had on their own, and how it's played into our friendship today. Now, the person sitting with me today is actually my first guest. However, you will never hear that episode that we originally did because of audio issues, and I've mentioned that in previous podcasts. But it's been actually a couple months now that it's been since the, that actual interview, and I feel really bad that we're finally getting around just to do that. But and from an interviewing standpoint, I think I've gotten better at that. So I think it will be actually better for you, my guest. And who are you today? Sebastian Edmund. Tim, I guess I can be the only person to claim that I was your first and like 10th yes. like podcast interviewee yeah, ever. And, and, Nobody and, else can take that from me. No, 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 no. <laughs> and it's just going to be like one of those things that I'm like, oh, man, if... If Justin like had this, Justin had this idea that I would be the last person to be interviewed. Okay. And that Justin or Larry would interview me, but like they would have their questions and then they would collect questions from everybody right. to ask me. And I'm like, oh, if it wasn't me, it'd have to be Sebastian. Just as the to, last person. As the last person. Because like, why you, me? Well, because like you were technically the first one, but I'm like, oh, I never. Had oh, okay. Enough, okay. Never just that. Just out of principle. I, yeah. I, I bookend the entire Wizards of Oz experience. Exactly. And then so. Everybody's and I'm sitting here thinking like I'm special or something. You are. I mean, I was going to be the first, so I appreciate that. Thank you. The first is the best. F is for friends who do stuff together. You and me. I'm not finishing this song. Time to lace up our skates and click our heels because we're going north, Miss Tessmacher, to deal with the Wizards of Oz. And now the theme song that Sebastian has provided for this podcast to be dropped in right now. And now we're back. So, Sebastian, Tim, where were you born? Uh, I was born in a hospital in Brooklyn, New York. Lived in an apartment with my mom and my grandparents in Queens until before my third birthday, where we moved on out onto Long Island. Spent most of my growing up formative years in a house in Brentwood, New York. And then around the time I was in middle school, headed on out to Bayshore, where I am right now. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you said hospital. If you didn't say that, I'd be like really concerned. Like, what the what? what no, you? just right in the middle of like Nostrand Avenue on a <laughs> cold September day. And it's funny that you mentioned that is because the old the hospital I was born in is no longer there. Really? And like it closed down. It became derelict, and like homeless people lived there and stuff like that. So the joke was, my sisters always said whenever we drove past them, like Tim, that's where you were born. All the graffiti <laughs> and the broken windows and, and the drug addicts. And me being the redheaded child and the only male in the child. A child of the family, like, oh, that explains everything now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one plus one. <laughs> yes, of course, equals redhead. <laughs> <laughs> math. Uh, so, we didn't go to Oswego for math. No, we went to Suffolk for math, and then... <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> so, and so, like you said, you were moving around a few times until you end up in Bayshore. Now, like, the one thing that happened, that, um, when did you know... You wanted to be broadcast before high school or, or during high school? Uh, after all of that, I had a huge major change 
major change as in what my field of study was. Coming out of high school, I originally went to Cornell University because mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to be an engineer and the opportunity was just something that I couldn't pass up upon because, you know, Ivy League school. It was, yeah. you know, great to take advantage of, but it wasn't until that I started to experience that lifestyle get deeper into what the major actually entailed and also see my health struggle, my personal life struggle, my grade struggle, you know, all simultaneously, it reached a point where I had to decide if this was really for me. So after a year at Cornell, I determined what I'm spending a lot of money Two, I'm borderline miserable, if not full-on miserable. You know, I'm not going to pull any punches. So I said... Can't deal with this right now. Yeah. Flips hair. Yeah. (laughs) Real emo, but, like, worse than that. Yeah, but legitimately. It was real life. Yeah. But, uh... So I determined that this isn't for me. So I figured better get out of this before I'm in too deep and it causes other you know, domino effect problems afterwards, whether it be, you know, student loans or whatever might have come of me being there for too long. But regardless, uh, I ended up just to recover and get back into a better state of well-being. uh, I ended up taking a year off of just school in general. Mm -hmm. And broadcasting was just a thing that I'd figured I'd try on a whim. Right. And then signed up for courses at Suffolk Community College, where me and you both attended. And funny thing is, attended simultaneously, occasionally running into each other, but, but not really communicating and become friends until we both ended up in Oz. So to answer your question, to cap that off, I just by chance thought, it's interesting, I'll give it a shot. Fell in love with it, here I am now. And it's like one of those things that like, if you're not, it's almost like a weird generational thing with stuff. Like we are going to go back. I want to ask you about high school a little bit more, but it's one of those weird generational things. Like if you don't come in in a certain semester at Suffolk and with a certain those classes selected, it's almost like you won't run into each other, right? They're like like us like being there at the same time. Yet we did not know each other really. No. Much. Well, like we may have passed each other in the hallway, but we probably didn't say word one to each other until us we go. When was your last semester at Suffolk? Uh, that would be fall of 2011. Fall of 2011 was your last semester. Yes, which means that that was the only semester we crossed paths, I believe. Really, because. I did my two-year Suffolk experience in three semesters, so a year and a half, mm. and my last semester was fall of 2012, gotcha. which means that I was there for fall 2011, spring 2012, and fall 2012, starting in Oswego in spring of 2013, yeah. Yeah, that's so th- correct. That, that would be Justin's last semester. Correct, yeah. So we only had one semester there, but I clearly remember us having interactions in that one semester. I believe so. I, I, I remember that vaguely as well as the same interactions I had with Tom during that semester. Cause I like, I made this song. Like I remember I had copied script writing with him. Right. But he, I think he showed up like the first day and the last day. <laughs> and I think he did a better grade than me. So which I'm not, I'm not uh, still butthurt about it whatsoever. Anyway. So going back to your saying about high school, where did you go to high school on Long Island? I went to St. John the Baptist. And I did the whole Catholic school thing throughout my entire 
upbringing. I went to St. Patrick's School in Bayshore from mm-hmm. pre-kindergarten to 8th grade, and then I did St. John the Baptist from 9th to 12th with a handful of my friends that I'm still friends with to this day, so we all grew up together. Now, with within retrospect, would you rather have gone to a public school? Or... Oh, no. I met great people. The experience was different, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it got me into position to appreciate wearing a suit for a living. That's true. <laughs> With the whole uniform thing, you know. Yeah. I genuinely did not know what to do my first day of college just being able to wear whatever to school. I had to think about it and I didn't like that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, It really it really is one less thing to worry about. Right. It really is. Um and so when you were in high school, did that when you got the idea for for going for engineering? Uh I was always a really math and science heavy kind of dude Mm. but always good in all of my other subjects as well so i always figured that whatever career path i would go down to it it would involve something mathy or sciencey i remember as a kid like at one point i wanted to be an architect right and at one point i wanted to just be you know vague kid things i wanted to be a scientist doing you know yeah Anything Science. from A to triple Z because you can do just about anything that's a vague enough answer to, you know, go down wherever you want. But uh, the idea of just, you know, computers and technology always intrigued me to a certain degree. So I thought that's what I wanted to do. But coincidentally, uh, the seeds of my broadcasting career were planted a lot sooner than I thought because I was always the type of person to balance out all of those really academic brainy kind of things with a lot more creative things like i was always heavily into music i was always into uh making videos and i would do uh video projects with my friends for projects in high school that you put them up against all the other video projects like ours blew them away but now knowing what i know now i look back at them and i'm like oh my god destroy this this is blackmail on (laughs) everything that i've built to this point oh yeah like like some of the early stuff even at oswego i've looked back at and i'm just like ooh, i i probably should take this down from my channel but i guess i'll leave it there for (laughs) some sadomasochistic in that way maybe i just want that punishment I don't know, but it's like, were you like that kid that made like erector sets or something like that? Or like, you just build things or just more of those things that like just seem to be interesting in you and that kind of big way. I think the whole architect thing came as a kid when I always was, when I always wanted to build things. I would make houses out of books. Like I I didn't read the books. I built stuff out of the books. That was the kind of kid that I was, right? Uh I, I'd get a set of dominoes, and I learned how to play dominoes, but when I didn't have anybody to play dominoes with, I'm an only child, right? So yeah. sometimes I would play with, like, my grandparents, because, you know, that was their upbringing, you know, they played dominoes with their friends, so exactly. I would play dominoes with them, but when I wouldn't play dominoes with them, I would be building a house with those dominoes, you know what I mean? So that was definitely the whole architecture thing in me, but also uh, the creative side of me, which I don't know, I guess I've better expressed that side of me with the line of work that I've gone into right now with my broadcasting profession, along with all of the other things that I do just for fun. Gotcha. Now, so high school ends and how about like, when do you get accepted to Cornell? I assume before Uh, high school graduation. It was around uh, 
yeah, January of my senior year, you know, early, not early decision, early, early action. Is that what it's called? It's yes. So long removed from high school. I it's believe like, you're correct on that. Yeah. So, uh, I got, I got accepted by Cornell. I got waitlisted to a couple others. And then my next, uh, my next top choice after that was Stony Brook. I got in there as well. And they have a very good engineering program yes, as do. well. And if I wanted something with more of the close to home feel, I still would have probably dormed and stayed out in Stony Brook, but I would have been half an hour away from home instead of five in Ithaca, New York. But uh, I don't know. It, it, there was definitely, you know, uh, some some persuasion needed to get me to finally accept the fact that I should take advantage of this opportunity mm-hmm. and whether that was the right decision or not. I don't know, but I did it. I tried it. Didn't work for me. And you learn from it. You know, I also feel that me at that age with my late birthday and the way that everything fell, I was turning 18 after I had already moved up to Cornell, I went to college as a 17-year-old, as weird as that sounds, but just about to turn 18, and I was nowhere near as ready to be on my own at that point. But you fast forward about two and a half years later to when I make the transition to go to Oswego, definitely better suited for that lifestyle at, you know, 21. Yeah. But still... To certain aspects and certain degrees, not quite ready, but, you know, now fast forward, which we'll get to, I'm going to be starting a new reel soon, and yes. now I totally feel ready to do my own thing. But we'll put a pin in that, and we'll come back to it, so if people yes. want to hear about that, you have to sit through the entire episode. Sorry, but that's how it goes. Sucks to suck. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you... um? Do you still have friends that from Cornell that you still talk to on a regular basis? Not so much on a regular basis, but I will say this. The best thing about me going to Cornell was the people that I met because I met some really awesome people. And it being such a well-renowned school, there were people from all over the world that I got a chance to meet and just experience different cultures, experience different, you know, thoughts and beliefs and, you know. The college I, experience finally coming to fruition exactly and uh you know i met everybody from fellow long islanders to my roommate was from texas to a couple of my hall mates were from uh don't quote me on this singapore and taiwan and new jersey (laughs) you know what i mean so (laughs) the far 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 away land of new jersey and new jersey being the most dangerous of those three oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, and it's speaking of new jersey one little tangent i love when i saw the movie world war z the brad pitt zombie movie mm-hmm. that was kind of iffy anyway starts out in philly and then it goes to uh newark and they cut to an establishing shot of newark when the zombie pocket was happening half newark's on fire and i and i, I started laughing i'm the only one laughing in here because like that's how newark always looks who the hell are you kidding i'm sorry that, that's a tuesday that's not a zombie apocalypse <laughs> that's a right. tuesday and got Newark turning up <laughs> on a Tuesday. <laughs> oh my God. Now, how do you break it to your family that you don't want to stay with Cornell and want to take, uh, a, as you said, a year off from school? How do they take it? And, and when they're talking about your personal, how your feelings right now, as well as your future, your potential future at that point. 
there was no problem with the decision. There was just a bunch of uh, uncertainty, you right? Know? And that came with the territory. But I also needed to figure that out in due time. But also, uh, they helped push me in the right direction because they just they just didn't want to see me end up not doing anything at all, which is, you know, absolutely worst case scenario. I can only imagine being in their shoes as a parent concerned of what happens next. So I definitely needed a little bit of motivation from them to say, hey, look, get off your rear end. I'm cleaning that up. Go to go to Suffolk. Figure out something. We all think you should do this. You'd be very good at it. Right. And they were 150 percent right. Now, you get to Suffolk, and you've gone to Cornell, and you got, you've had a little bit of the college experience, and then you're going to what some people consider 13th grade or an extension mm-hmm. of high school and stuff like that. Were those the kind of feelings or notions in your head when you were going there? And did you, have, did you declare as a broadcasting major going in? I did declare as a broadcasting major going in. And when you were in the position that I was in, I think you just have to put all of those notions aside mm-hmm. because at this point I had in a sense nothing to lose by doing what I was doing right now right because obviously for me Suffolk wasn't going to be the be all end all it was just a means to try to figure out something for the future and after upon entering the broadcasting program at Suffolk realizing that a very straightforward and practical approach to my education from this point, because I I was getting a degree and not just like an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree at the very least, because I'm a firm believer that in today's world, that is the bare minimum that you should have just because it's tough out there. It really, no matter what profession you get into. Yeah. And uh, once I realized that a very practical end point for this part of my life would be get my associates from Suffolk, get my bachelor's at Oswego, significantly cheaper than from than what I was paying at Cornell, I can tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, I committed to it after figuring out that this is definitely something that I can be good at, and, you know, turns out I actually liked what I was doing, too. Mm-hmm. Now, do you remember... Your cl- the first broadcasting class you had at Suffolk. First broadcasting class that I had was Radio One with Alan Bernstein. Now you get to the class, you get you sit down. Who is in the class with you? Who would go on to be, or who like who's the people in there that you still remember to this day? Uh Tones was in that class. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if Dietz was in that class. I had a class with him, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if it was Radio 1. It might have been TV 1. Right. I didn't do Radio 2. I did other classes to supplement that requirement. But yeah. um, I definitely had tones in that class because I remember Al always ripping him for wearing his hat. Of course. And how blessed he is for having that full head of hair, and he's going to lose it all if he keeps wearing those goddamn hats. Yes, which is something <laughs> I, 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 something that... I thought up, and that's why I haven't. St- I've stopped wearing his hat as much. I'm just like, I have this red hair. I got this. I have this unique opportunity. I got to use it anytime. Like, yeah, that's why it's so frizzy right now. I'm not a hat person, so I've never had that problem. I look weird in a hat. Like, I already have a baby face. Like, I just shaved recently, and I look right. like I could pass for 16 if I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. But uh, you throw the hat on me, and it doesn't make me look older. It makes me look younger. I look 
14. So right now it's a semi-curse, but I'll definitely be okay with it when I'm, you know, still look this way at 35. True. And still look this way at, like, 50. Yeah. Except with a full beard, because there's going to reach a point where it's like, <laughs> enough of this nonsense, I am 44, why am I still getting ID at the bar? That kind of... <laughs> <laughs> like, who let the youngster in? God damn it! <laughs> I, was I was born in 91! <laughs> I was walking the earth before you were, even, you were even conceived. Before you were a twinkle in your father or mother's <laughs> eye. Who's, whose eye is it? A twinkle, twinkle in, in your father's eye. In your father's eye? I think okay. it's twinkle in your mother's eye and a... And a and a scratch in your uh, father's pants oh, or something like yeah, that. It was yeah, something really inappropriate. Yeah. Something very crude that you're not going to out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving longer before you were itching in your daddy's pants. Whoa. <laughs> um, the same thing. Zing. <laughs> uh, credit that to Lethal Weapon. Danny Clover came up with that one. Um, also, Chris Lewin looks terrible. He, he, no, he <laughs> looks like a child when he puts on a hat. He knows it. It looks <laughs> odd when he wears one. I remember when, like, when I was up at Us We Go when the... Um, the Mets won. Uh, what was it? The NFC like East Champions. They like won that. the and I'll. They won the pennant. The pennant, the, yes. Yeah. And he's like, I am wearing this thing, even though he looked like a twelve year old. Like, I don't care, Mister Rooney. I'm going out wearing this. I'm like, okay. So, you're with Al, mm-hmm. first class. What are your first impressions of him and how this class is being run? Oh, he can be very intimidating, but oh, for sure. His, I, I'm pretty sure, definitely with that kind of intro class, he wants to weed out all the people that definitely couldn't make it, and it just wasn't, uh, you know, as much as he, you know, can strike down the fear of God in, you know, Brooklyn Jewish form, uh, he, uh, he has, it serves its purpose. He has to do what he has to do to keep the integrity of the program and make sure that you know only the best people go beyond the initial point and uh academically it was never going to be a challenge for me because i think uh there's definitely a little ego behind this but it definitely helped me get through because i would sit there thinking to myself i just came off of being at cornell none of this scares me i am going to destroy this academically and move on with my life but you know one thing that i appreciate about the program is that it both the suffolk program and the oswego program was that it just extends so much further beyond academia yeah and for whatever you choose to get into in the broadcasting field that is really so much more valuable than anything you can do in the classroom in regards to book work and homework and papers and all that necessary stuff but a little too uh how can i put it a little too heavily relied upon when you're doing something that me and you both do yeah you know i feel like i would benefit more by spending eight hours editing a package or a movie or a short than eight hours spending on a paper. Yeah. Both are necessary. We're not be but teachers. Both yeah, both are necessary, but which one is gonna help you more in the long run? Yeah. You know, and I don't have plans on becoming an editor, but I think it's definitely something everybody should have the skill for. Yes. And it's like one of those things that Matt brought up in his podcast is like one thing that at least he got from Al is that not to be a run, one-trick pony. Right. And especially in the broadcasting field, whether you can do audio, whether you can do editing, or you can direct TV or something like that, or any of myriad of the kind of positions that we all have uh, learned on. Whether and that's just, just like, production, too. It goes yeah. so much more beyond that as well. But 
as well as one of the things that at least I took away from topic is that personal relationship, not like personal relationship, but the personal politics that can happen in a news gathering group. For sure. And now, so what other broadcasting classes are you taking in the first semester? Was it just that, or is it what else? That I took, um, uh, that initial editing class at Star. Oh, God. I had, uh, uh, intro to broadcasting with Headstrom. Ooh, Headstrom. <laughs> and, uh, and just a, a myriad of other stuff. But, you know, I think after that, the main broadcasting-related courses that you end up taking in your time, I guess I can think of five. TV1, TV2, Remote Van, Field Production, and uh, my internship, internship, which is technically a class as well. So, so first semester comes to an end. What's your favorite personal memory and broadcasting memory your first semester at Suffolk? Uh, personal memory? When it comes to academics, I can just realize how proud I was to finish that huge portfolio for Headstrom. Right. Because uh, uh, I definitely put off a lot of stuff to the, to the end of the class, like 99% of everybody else that takes this class does. You know, it's no surprise there, but I... uh. I put in a lot more work throughout the semester than I thought I would, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, I was happy to have accomplished that. I was happy to have uh, learned how to edit mm-hmm. properly and just the simple, most basic principles that you never think of and you're not aware of if you're not in the field, but yeah. it makes sense mm-hmm. logistically and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Um, I remember. Just uh, the positive feedback for the hustle and hard work that I tried to put into everything that I had because I don't know who I was trying to convince more, my peers, the people in charge, or myself on what I can do in the position that I was in because this was, you know, blank slate, new start for me, first semester back in school after being removed from schooling for so long, and I just... I wanted to get back to where I was. Like, as in elementary school, I was an A-plus student. Right. In middle school, in sixth and seventh grade, I got burned out hard. Mm. I felt the pressure of just wanting to do so well that I just hit a wall hard and that fell back. And what really pushed me to get my act together in eighth grade was the fact that Going to a Catholic school, you had to pass the test yes, to get into out. Catholic school as well as, uh, you know, have a good background with, you know, your grades. And me thinking to myself, I can be removed from all of my friends for the first time in my life. I don't want that to happen. So I wised up, got my act together, and was able to get into St. John's. St. John's, once again... A-plus student throughout, thus helping me get into Cornell. Right. And then Cornell was just very, very, very academically challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, by far the hardest academic phase of my life. Mm-hmm. And I just realized I can be learning in a better way without feeling like I've never liked school. You know, right. but it was a means to an end for you. Yes, but there was also 
this thought that, um, you know, I shouldn't be suffering to try to get an education. No, I mean, I feel like it should, it should be challenging because it puts, because somebody like, uh, was it, uh, an artist by the name of Neil Adams, summed it up perfectly. The teacher, a professor, he's not there to pass you. He's not there to fail you. He's there to play it as it is. He doesn't get paid more for you to pass. He doesn't get paid more for you to fail. He's just, he is a book. What students have to do is challenge themselves based upon the material if they want to get an education. Do they want to be proactive enough? And that's one of those things that, like, sometimes teachers or at least some some of the education has a very different way of thinking about it. They're like, oh, you want this? You have to be, have to go through turning the screws against you or something like that. And then, like, people spending up for days writing papers and stuff mm-hmm. like that to – to what to have a piece of paper? Like, well, like I don't want to get into like an anti-education rant. I do feel like certain things with the education system, certain majors have a little, it's a real twisted way of doing things. But it should feel give enough to have the students be proactive enough to right. want to do it, mm-hmm. rather than be a detriment. Right, and you know, it was uh, like one of the worst experiences that I had in Cornell. Um, a couple of my classes were. Uh, weighted on a curve based on how everybody else did. Right. And the worst feeling in the world is uh, failing a test and everybody else failing the test as well, but not as bad as you did, and you still end up falling in, like, the C-D range of the class. Mm. And then on the next test, getting a frickin' 94 out of 100. Yet. And the class average is a 98 and a half. And you still wind up in the C minus D range of the curve. Mm. There is nothing more spirit breaking than that. Yeah. Knowing that you got a 94 out of 100 and you still get a C or a D. You know what I mean? Yeah. So once again, to not get on a education rant, but uh, the point is, you know, I always felt that. If I found the right situation, I can definitely be motivated enough myself. Yeah. I was in the early phases of my life. I was in high school. And, you know, you only need some reason, no matter what that reason to be, to motivate you, you know? I, at this point, wasn't motivated to get good grades as much as I was just to be motivated to find an answer. And I thought I did in the realm of broadcasting and Mm -hmm. I was right. Now, first semester ends, you come in and see second semester at Suffolk. What classes are you taking? Uh, I have, uh, television one, a couple other headstrom classes and other electives aside from that. But, uh, you know, TV one being the primary, focus of you know the learning curve for the program Mm. because uh you know that's when you really get into production you start to learn all the different crew positions and start to you know just understand how so many moving parts have to all work together to make beautiful beautiful television happen you know what i mean the the best television that you see as a viewer is a result of a crew working like a Swiss watch, mm-hmm. like the guts of one. 
bad television is a result of all those one or many of those gears breaking down. Mm-hmm. And good television is something that you should not notice. It should just flow at you. There could be flourishes and stuff like that. But if you start noticing things going wrong, that's how you know it's bad television. And then, like, at least with television one, Al conveys the fundamentals and how that's conveyed to you. Now, at the end of for TV one, you have to do a project on a town in on Long Island. Right. What town did you do and who was your partner? I did West Islip and my partner was Kyle Sweetapple. Really? Really awesome dude, man. He was from he's from uh, Babylon. So yeah. the town in between us being West Islip. Makes I've sense. I've worked in West Islip for the longest time ever since I uh, moved to Bayshore with, you know, various stuff as well as my martial arts teaching. That was my primary job. Still is. For the longest time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was excited. So we just did an awesome project talking about all the different pizzerias in town. <laughs> so me, Kyle, and my buddy Nick ah. literally just drove around to all sorts of different pizzerias, told them we were doing a project, got free slices out of it, shot a bunch of B-roll of them making <laughs> pizza and all their different options, and put together a package on it. Then to go back into TV1 and then do a mock segment of a show with like seven to eight and a half minutes in duration along with the package in there of just talking about pizza greatest thing ever <laughs> did you direct and he ad i directed yes and how did that go and how many takes did you need to do uh just one very nice just one yeah it went very well kyle edited the piece greatly i did the voiceover for it Mm -hmm. you know real simple but straight to the point for our ability at that point i think we did a really good job we got a good grade we got an a Mm -hmm. both in the class and on that specific project uh deets was my uh was was my talent for it he was he was the food critic quote unquote and boy did he just make stuff up to kill time it was wonderful i don't remember who hosted it but i clearly remember him being the guest on the show and just talking off the dome and just saying whatever he wanted and he was wonderful got a got me to laugh throughout the entire time it was a good time from what i remember from his podcast he told me that you and him were the go-to talent for TV One. They, there was nobody else that really wanted to be in front of a camera. And it's I daunting for some. It is, even though it's so not actual television. It's just a class drill. Yeah. But me and him being in that role, uh, me specifically, it kind of started to plant the seeds of how awesome would it be to be on television for a living? Which is still a dream of mine, but we'll right. get to that in a sec. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was the go-to talent. In fact, I would be doing it so often I got fed up of doing it because I wanted to learn oh, the different positions. crew positions. said I can't just sit here in front of a camera reading off a teleprompter. Anybody can do that. Literally, anybody can do that. Yeah, just so, practice. Yeah, so I wanted to learn how to run all of the other equipment, and I figured out what I liked. And I didn't like, but I knew how to do it. Mm. And that was very important because, you know, I would need that knowledge for the classes, Oswego and beyond. Mm -hmm. Now, and what other classes did you take in the semester other than TV1? What were the other ones? Uh, Some headstrom classes. I don't remember which ones. There was no other product, like any other production classes. It wasn't wasn't field, like, okay. No. So field production and TV2 both happened simultaneously in my last semester at Suffolk. Uh, that must have been a rough combination of those two. Uh, 
it was interesting. It wasn't as difficult as it could be because the other electives that we were taking mm-hmm. that I was taking was generally easy. And like I said, I was determined to just knock Suffolk out of the park academically. And, you know, spoiler alert, after three semesters, I averaged a four zero. I got an A in every single class. And I was and I said to myself, I worked hard for this. I deserve this. I earned this time to go do the same thing in Oswego. Yeah. But, we still have one more semester. Oh, one thing that we didn't mention. You want to know what my one clear memory of you was at Suffolk in the one semester that we had of overlap? Uh, I was editing one of my projects for Star in the edit room next to Bernstein's office. And okay. you came in and I think you were talking to the person who was there in charge running the edit room mm-hmm. because you might have been like renting out a camera or something like that. Okay, You talked to somebody else in my class that was editing as well that you knew could even tell you who it was right but you know i was talking to them at the same time you came over to talk to them they introduced us to the two of you gave you a handshake when i introduced yourself and i'm like wow this kid has a really good handshake thus one of our things still to this day like like for those of you that don't know like me and him every time we see each other like you know there will there will be hugs involved there will be jokes involved but there is always a handshake involved yeah, because it's a, we, you we, respect a good handshake. Yeah, it's just like one of those things that was instilled for at least from at least from my dad and likewise like, and all this all this family like friends and family of just like one of those things. That's like your first other than your appearance, which I know I fail at. Um, <laughs> a handshake I make up for it. At least I try to anyway. Now, what other than possibly the end of tv one production what was either your favorite project do was it a a certain suffix scene that you did or Uh, and what was your favorite what's the thing you took the most out of that semester broadcasting wise learning uh getting a taste for directing okay for sure because uh I came to realize that I enjoyed it a lot Mm -hmm. just uh being in charge of all those moving pieces like you were talking about of how broadcast a live broadcast at least or anything taped live from start to finish Mm -hmm. has to be run i just enjoyed being in that role of you know get on my back i will lead you guys through this because you know uh the director is just the you know the maestro the the ringmaster leading everybody into quote-unquote battle you know to get through to start to finish and you just came up with some crazy idea you and your giggles over there no i'm just like and we have we're introducing the ringmaster oh, isn't sorry. that stunning steve austin Shh, don't say anything sorry <laughs> <laughs> then uh, king of the ring 96 and one infamous promo later austin 316 says i just whooped your ass michael p.s hayes as you remember his name Oh, you remember his name? They changed it. They, if you get this, I will shake your hand right now. I don't remember because I know he's part of the Fabulous Three Birds. I don't remember his name changed when he Doc came. Hendricks. I'm uh, like ninety. I know there was a Doc in there, and I'm pretty sure the second part was Hendricks. What? What? Well, I know Vince has always been like you don't start <laughs> a career until you walk through the, the curtains at WWF at the time, and now it's still at WWE. Why the change of the name? He just wanted to with the, the Freebirds' um... own identity. Gotcha. Not to mention he wasn't a wrestler anymore. He was just a personality. Right. And then eventually going on to manage the Hardy Boys to their first tag team title reign. And if I remember correctly, they were part of... I know they had they had some dealings with the Von Erics and stuff like that. At least, like, the Freebirds and the Von Erics always had great matches. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, but my they gosh. were part of... 
I can't remember which territory it was. It was another southern territory. I don't think it was Dusty Rhodes territory. No, the the big Texas one. Yes. I, it, it was like, the name escapes me right now. Because Von Erichs was southern Texas. Mm-hmm. Freebirds were north Texas. And then, of course, Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes was in Florida and stuff like that. Well, sorry. Sorry for the uh, yeah, t- no. uh, that's, flashback. That's the for another podcast. Oh, I mean, we could spend at least 10 hours on the territories alone. Yeah. But, so, second semester ends, and you're going into your third semester at Suffolk. Has Oswego been on your mind? And when you first introduced the idea of going to Oswego by Al, I assume. Al saw potential in me. Actually, I, I can tell the first real conversation that I had with him was when he was scheduling my classes for my second semester. Okay. And he's like, this is what you need to take. This is what you need to take. I'll give you the hookup for what classes will make your experience a lot smoother. Because we don't need any non-broadcasting classes weighing you down. We want you to get the most out of this program, first and foremost. So, uh, he liked the way that I was excelling in everything, and that's when it came out on the table Mm -hmm. that I came from Cornell and that just really why did you fucking say so yeah <laughs> first <laughs> F-bomb of, of the podcast I didn't want to be the one to do it of no 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 if, if anybody was gonna be me at least yeah. I could, you could say blame the host for it being explicit right now <laughs> but uh when I dropped that on him that's you know he he had to stop looking at his computer and then turn towards me and he's like and why are you here? You know what I mean? One of those. So, you one know, explanation, right one, there. one life story later. And then we get to this and he's like, you're going to, you're going to destroy this program. And right. you're going to go up to us. We go, and you're going to be a star up there and you're going to do great things. And that was that. And he's like, is that a doable option? I said, yes. And I committed to that as soon as he told me that. Mm. And, yeah, it worked out. It really did. Obviously. Now, going to your third semester at Suffolk, what classes are you taking? Uh, TV2, field production. Uh, internship? Uh, internship happened during, th- uh, during the summer in between... The last semester in this and go one into that. Where did you where did uh, you turn at? Cablevision, Cablevision okay. local programming. Gotcha. And what did, what were what were your expectancy? What were your what was your job title there? Just intern. Okay. I, I ended up uh, doing everything from organizing all of the spare equipment to teleprompter work mm-hmm. to working the field camera gotcha. to uh, editing stuff for their website, working a camera for their live to tape shoots of local shows. And just being a handy person there to help out in whatever way I could. And it's one of those things that, well, at least Al, Justin, and I were talking about last week, is that it's just sad that they don't have the connection with the interns with... Because, like, Al was saying that, like, they have, like, four people doing the internship now mm. a semester. Because they have, like, varsity and cable vision, like, that opportunity's unfortunately dried up with... Right. Changing of the times and stuff like that. Cablevision had a bunch of layoffs. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of the people that were former Suffolk people, like my whole department that I interned at, I don't even think exists anymore. It was funny because I think um, my sister's like housemate got a job at Cablevision. Okay, and like 
getting paid X amount of dollars a year. I'm like, well, just wait like six months until she gets fired when they start laying people off and, they, and that those bill like the the rent stuff's coming in. And she's like, what do you mean? And then I explained to her about all the layoffs right. that happened and stuff. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, that's why I didn't even bother going to cable vision because I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket and then have it being snatched away from me. Also being incredibly lazy as well. <laughs> I'll admit that. <laughs> and so... And so I say you you enjoyed your experience at Cablevision? Oh, yeah. It was a good time. I learned a lot. It was uh, the realest thing that I experienced to that point. And, you first know. First things I, first? Yeah. <laughs> Let me take a selfie. Uh, <sighs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it just uh, gave me the opportunity to see what went into going into a broadcast on a small scale and just, uh, you know, because they weren't big big productions no but everything you treat it as at, such. at its most basic level it all works the same you yeah. know what i mean somebody was directing there was somebody working every moving part like we've mentioned before right and you know you make everything happen start to finish even That's... like the oscars or an nfl game or anything like that it is the same it's like how many like movies have so many different like marks? Like so many movies today, at least the Hollywood-based movies have a three-act structure, beginning, middle, end. Doesn't right. mean it has to happen the same way. Doesn't mean it's going to be portrayed the same way. However, for the most part, there's the same principles there. Same thing with every broadcast that's out right. there. Now, how did you like? Especially with like, uh, let's start with field production in your third semester at Suffolk. How did you? How was that experience for you? Al made me a producer for my group. Right. And the way that he picks the producers in charge of groups, he picks a bunch of people that he knows will be in charge of his group, which I think I fell under that category. Right. And he also picked a handful of people that he wants to see step up and see how they handle the situation dealt in front of them. Mm -hmm. So I had had a group of a bunch of different – really good people and i wouldn't say that we all work together particularly well mm-hmm. but we but we uh didn't fall apart and you know there's external circumstances that prevent people from being around all the time but yes. you know i took pride in being one of the people to you know if i couldn't count on somebody to do a certain something i would do it myself and i know for those two pieces that I put together showed a lot of promise. The second one by far was better than the first one by leaps and bounds Mm -hmm. and still being green to editing. I definitely put in at least, I don't know, 30 hours of editing between the two projects that Mm -hmm. totaled no more than five minutes in length, something that I can bang out in a couple of, hours now tops if i just wanted to get you know thorough with it but once again you know learning process i had to figure it out and how do you get to carnegie hall practice yeah so you know uh also just finding some ways to take creative approaches to you know my project like i remember the second the second piece that i did dealt with the voting process and how that should be handled because there have been a bunch of recent messes in voting, you know, since the 2000s. Yes. And, you Digi- know, like 
electronic people, voting and uh, stuff like people, that. People being denied voting, people being unable to vote, the absentee ballot, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of, you know, political stuff that I learned a lot about because, you know, you have to research for your topic to right. be able to make this happen. And, uh, you know, uh, I also learned how to interview better because I had this professor that gave me a bunch of very knowledgeable but long-winded answers that... I didn't need that much for. He gave me about an hour and a half of interview and I used all of 20 seconds, 30 seconds of sound bites in my package. You know what I mean? So, uh, I learned how to interview somebody more efficiently. I can tell you that much because I'm like, I am never doing that again. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, did a really cool spin on everything where I had all of the, um, I had, you know, one of the focuses with the 2000 election with the whole Florida debacle with Al Gore and George uh, W. Bush yeah, presidential election. Exactly. So I took, um, you know, commentary from a bunch of different, um, uh, a bunch of different news broadcasters, famous ones, you know, like Tom Brokaw and, uh, Tom Brokaw. Yeah. yeah Tom Brokaw and, um, Dan Rather, you gotcha. know narrating elections as they were going live and then sound bites from Gore and Bush talking about the aftermath before, during and after the whole counting process and all of that stuff. And just the intro to my package was just 40 seconds of the entire saga of the 2000 elections in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And I was proud of how that turned out just from based off of it actually happened. Cause I felt like that added credibility to my package because this isn't me putting my own spin or my story on it. It's like, this is what happened in the election. This is how flawed the system can be. Get into the story. You know, I was proud of that and it turned out real well. Yeah. Because you got the audience. I was like, there's so many like kind of news stories. Like if you're watching like, evening news and stuff like that you have the in-studio reporting of anything that's happening during the day and then you have the packages that could be from a day from that day's um news or previous days and if they don't hook you quick enough and like either you got a strong intro or a strong outro and that's how you get that's how you get them to like like if you hit them really strong they like people will like perk up like they'll stop Cooking and be like, right, and poke, poke their head into the living room to watch. Like, wait, what was happening? And then you got their attention. And I remember the one from when I did Peel production. I did uh, one about um, a reporter who is during uh, during the Egypt, um, like pretty much the coup d'état, pretty much that happened right. there. And then they had to use social media during that. And it was this one reporter who was over there who was assaulted, and like she had like, and the whole package was about like. Had she's been in dangerous situations before, and she's still going to go back to it. Like I, I set it up like, I like of news photos. Like yes, I've been in dangerous situations before. And then I cut the footage of her being bombed like during well, when she was overseas, and then like cut back to the interview. Like and I still go to there again. And then I go into the meat of the story about what just happened while right. she's over there in Egypt. Like that's where you like like hang them. Like oh, okay, now you got the story right there. And it's like one of those things that and just seeing some of the field production of like just last week and it's even though it's like broadcasting it's still storytelling you got it is yeah and it's one of the things you have to just keep refining and try and make it more succinct and more powerful and with that in mind and like 
Whereas like any like real like bad drama coming out of that field production group, or is it just like one of those things like you just got like come on, we have we just have to get this done. So um, there were definitely some points where I just had to you know help drag some people along, mm-hmm. but compared to some of the disasters in other groups. I was fortunate to have a very good group, so I can't even complain that much about some of the struggles. I did end up putting a lot of my own legwork into it, but all in all, no matter how much of a headache it may have been at that time, it just made my skill sharper, so... Gotcha. If if I can be selfish at any point in time, it's worth it for that specific scenario, because I'm learning how to edit, I'm learning how to storytell, I'm learning how to write better, and... All skills that just made me a better broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Now, with TV2, what were your feelings going into TV2? What what were, what were your questions have? Like, what's this, what's this class going to teach you? And what did you expect of yourself at, by the end of the class? I was psyched to direct, dude. I was so ready to just take that challenge and run with it. Right. And... You know, as we mentioned earlier, me and Dietz, once again, we're in the same class. Hey! <laughs> being confined to being in front of the camera, it reached a point where we were skilled enough in everything in that television studio that everybody, when they took their turn to direct, wanted either me or him. And we kept flip-flopping to either be in front of the camera to make sure we said everything that needed to be said correctly and on time so we don't miss your cues, or to be the technical director because that switcher scares people. And that switcher is not even intimidating considering how powerful it is, but when it comes to the actual physical number of buttons on it that people get turned off by it's not bad at all no it's a handful of buttons mostly it's just like those those are just very specific things if you need them but like i was saying the principles there are just like all right i I just need to Mm -hmm. concentrate on these and once again it's it's something that you just have to figure out conceptually and then after you get it then you just need to learn the intricacies of every single television switcher that you would be on from that point in time but it's very doable it's fun it's not my personal favorite thing. If it involves doing that and directing simultaneously, I'm all for it. Right. But I don't know if I could foresee myself necessarily being a just a technical director, but it definitely serves its purpose. And I feel like if I got into it a lot more, that notion would change for me and I would be absolutely down to do that. Right. I remember I was talking to Tom not too long ago when he was working. Like, yeah, he's back at Belmont after he had been up in Saratoga for a little, over a month. And he's saying the majority of the time is the TD is the director. Right. There's no AD. He's just pretty much doing it all by himself and stuff like that. Then still having graphics and audio and et cetera. So being say that you were willing to do that is a skill. It's like somebody like, oh, oh, yeah. I, oh I like being very narrow minded. Like, no, I just want to do this, et cetera, et cetera. Especially if directing is something that you want to pursue, I'm pretty sure some of the requirements for that position would be you got to realize how everything else underneath you works. Of course. Otherwise, you know, what good are you? Well, I'm good at stuff. <laughs> good at <laughs> lots of stuff. <laughs> you just haven't heard of it yet. So It's all up here, man. <laughs> so, end of the semester comes... How are you feeling with those two main classes with field production and TV2 at, by the end of it and the end of your Oh, and through? remote van because uh, technically oh. that was that was the semester that I was taking it. I helped out with other broadcasts before. Like uh, I helped 
I helped wire for sporting events and things like that. And I worked that graduation in the semester before my last semester because I ended up doing all four semesters worth in three semesters, partially because I had carryover credit from Cornell. Gotcha. So it just helped speed along the process. Right. Which, you know, helped work for me. But, uh, uh, once again, also live sports, nothing like it. Great experience. Mm. People like not in the field don't understand how exhilarating working a live sports broadcast is, right. no matter what you're doing. And then also further developing the whole idea, the whole notion that I could be on camera for a living. You know, I started to work sports games for Suffolk. I started to be a sideline reporter for basketball games. And then we did our first concert ever in my last semester there. And I got to host the entire thing, interview the conductor and, you know, just cool stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I said, I could really see yourself doing this. I could see myself doing this. So it's definitely something that I want to further pursue. And did you end up becoming before that semester was over? Were you doing any? Color, were you a color commentator or doing... not yet? Okay, no. I didn't know how to. There were already people for that position. Al was constantly bringing in friends or other alumni that he knew were good color commentators and understood the sports that we were covering. And play by play went to uh, the one and only Justin Cirillo. And that was not changing because Al thinks Justin is gold. And he is gold. And he is. I say Al thinks he's gold. And I'm not saying that because I disagree with that. I'm just saying like at that point I was like, I I hadn't met Justin and Justin was still around, you know, every now and again back from Oz to do this kind of stuff. And after witnessing him doing it, I'm like, wow, this kid is very, very good at what he does. And I know that I can do that as well. Mm. You know what I mean? So, uh, it would be something that I would further dive into by the time I reached Oswego. Mm. But for the time being, I was thinking to myself, I have the chance to be a sideline reporter. I get to interview players. I get to interview coaches and, you know, add a different dimension to, uh, to the broadcasts, and it was something that only started to really get thrown into the mix before I started doing it, be- because before I did that job, Larry did that job. Yeah. Larry was the sideline yes, he was. for all the sporting events, and then when he went up to Oswego, that was a void that needed to be filled, thus where I came in. Now was like was like an open call for the sideline reporter, or do you know? And he said, "Al, I will do that." I approached Al saying that I wanted to be talent for the sporting event. He said, "I can make you a sideline reporter because play-by-play and color commentary is filled already." Right. And now, did you have that plan to like do it pull like what what, what Justin was doing, like when he was on break, come back and do broadcast, or was it, like one of those things you just kind of fell into? Uh. A little A, a little B. Okay. Honestly. Because, uh, you know, once again, it's just a need that needed to be filled by somebody. And it just fell at the opportune time that I could step in and do that. Because mm-hmm. even now, like, I'm doing uh, broadcasts for Suffolk as a way to, you know, just give back to the school. Because they don't have anybody actively seeking to do these positions right and while i'm in the area you know it's a way that i can help give back to the program Mm. and also further develop my abilities as a sports broadcaster so 
Uh, in fact, I have a game tomorrow that I get to be play-by-play for because uh, both Justin and Matt Jackson both aren't available. Yeah. So once again, we have new people stepping up, filling in the shoes that we were doing before. Right. But I will be the play-by-play guy for the first time in a while for Suffolk since um, we did um, – a baseball game at the end of last semester, me and Matt Jackson did, and then there was a basketball tournament where me, Jackson, and Cirillo constantly rotating what we were doing, and that was just a blast of a tournament. Right. And it's like, like along those things, it's just like you aggregate those kind of experiences to make yourself a better and better broadcaster, even before you went to what some would consider a real college or something like that. And I put that in air quotes because Suffolk is a real college. I don't want anybody to take... From everything that we've talked about in this podcast. Any, any college is what you make out of it. Yes. The the broadcasting program really is a diamond in the rough, though. Yes. And, it, and it's one of those things that, like, not to, we're not selling a short. We're obviously spending a lot of time on it because it's, it's had a – it's irrevocably changed us. And it's def- slow, slightly, slightly defined us at this point, as well as the experiences we've had at Oswego. Now, your semester comes to an end. And you're about to move to Oswego. Feelings. What do you have inside you at that point? Since you've already dropped a swear, I feel like it might be appropriate for me to do it for this because this is legitimately how I felt. Uh, How do I not F this up? Yeah. Not that I felt like I screwed up with Cornell, but I didn't want to go through the same thing that I did before. Right. Knowing that I would be putting myself in a similar scenario. Right. I know that, uh, I've definitely, there's a big maturity difference from 18 and 21. Of course. And, uh, I was going into once again, slightly less unknown because I knew people going up there. Uh, coincidentally in my last semester at Suffolk is when I met Matt Jackson and we were both heading up towards Oswego at the same time, along with a handful of other people that, uh, graduated at the same time as us from Suffolk. And I knew of you and Cirillo Mm -hmm. and Bergen and et cetera, et cetera, Rory up there and just the familiarity of you know, us coming from the same program is enough to, you know, ease your mind when it came to such a big transition. Cause, uh, you know, there's a lot of us from the Suffolk program that went up there and a handful of people from the program that I'm significantly closer to than others. But yes, that common background just, you know, it's a shorthand. Yeah. It just helps you get by versus going into a, a program cold and everything like that, and right. have them make a whole new set of friends up there versus the the situation. Which that we was all my had. situation with Cornell. I went through, I went through a rough time with my longtime friends at home, and that didn't help my transition up there. Knowing that I was leaving all of that and didn't have any closure one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But this time around, uh, <clears throat> one, I had the slight bit of doubt in my mind from the. Not so great experiences of my first attempt of going away to school. Mm-hmm. I was in a relationship and didn't know how that would affect me with a long distance relationship. Mm-hmm. That relationship ended up just ending my first weekend up there. It wasn't pretty, but I, I, I don't think I knew that it, it was. It was meant to be. Right. I ended up being better off out of that situation, but that's gotcha. a whole other story. 
you know, yeah. experiences regardless. You mm-hmm. learn and you move on. Of course. Uh, and I was physically moving even further away than I had already had the first time around. Right. And it's just one of those things that, like, like Justin and I had stated that, like, none of, like, him and I, we didn't go to, like, sleepaway camp or anything like that. Didn't do, like, any summer camp or anything like that. So moving not just away, but hours upon hours. Like, like I always joke is I went to school in Canada. Right. And, and the joke that I beat into the ground, it's, it's, I can get to my family in Annapolis, Maryland quicker than I can get to school in the same state. Right. Just so, because... Adirondacks, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it has to be the fucking mountains right there. It's going to be like, and stuff like that. <laughs> but, and so, and now did your like, family, like like you say, you had these kind of, I want to say insecurities, but you had these doubts or questions of your experiences of Cornell coming back to you before you went to Oswego. Did your family talk about that before you moved up? Uh, I don't think I explicitly had any conversation with them about the situation, mm-hmm. but, um, I knew uh, it was something that I had to overcome, a personal barrier, but uh, I knew things are going to be different, and I knew that I could make them different in a good way. Right. And I knew that now I had some clarity. I knew that this was something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. There wasn't as much unsure- uncertainty as there was when I went into Cornell trying to become an electrical engineer. Gotcha. Now, total 180. I'm in a totally different school with a totally different career choice, but I was more certain about it than I ever was for anything this major in at that point in my life. Right. And so you move up to Oswego, you get there first day. Mm-hmm. Who's the first one of us that you run into? Uh, as I'm moving in, I get a text from Jackson and he's like, dude, I just made it to Oswego. My room's awesome. You know, I'm rooming with Larry, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting him like officially for the first time. I'm like, where's your room, by the way? He's like, oh, uh, one 121 or whatever it was, yeah. 121 Cayuga. I'm like, dude, I'm in, I'm in 311 Cayuga. He's like, what? We're living in the same building and we didn't know this? I'm like, no. I'm like, he's like, what are you doing right now? I'm like, I just finished unpacking. My family's all here with me. He's like, dude, I'm unpacking right now. Come through. I said, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I went down there. My family meets his family. We're both psyched. Like, you know, we don't know each other that well, but once again, just the familiarity of both coming from the same place, both the Suffolk program and Long Island. Yes. Just got us excited to go, you know, um, venture off into Oswego and then you know one of the first things that we did together was just to you know go meet people at the television station right and D.O.P. D.O.P. um and what was that like going to the do you all right before we go any further I I I feel like I failed in not asking this question did you go up for any orientation I did uh the Columbus Day weekend right in my third semester so fall of 2012 Okay. While I was at Suffolk, my last semester there, and I was like, "This, this is it for me. This is happening." Right. If I, w- I was already sure 
of it beforehand that just reaffirmed everything and gave my family a glimpse of what I would be doing. And even that didn't do justice to what all of us would end up doing in our two years. Yeah. And now see you there. And you and I meet later that night. Later that night, we were hanging out in one of the lounges in next Vegas. to Larry and Jackson's yep. room. That's when we officially like. I met you. I met Tom. Yeah, because Tom. I, I met Tom. Tom in passing beforehand, thanks to Burkhalter. Right near the end of my third semester there, Burkhalter and Tom were talking to each other. Right. Mark knew that I was going up to Oswego. He introduced me to Tom. He's like, "This kid is good." This kid is real good, and you're going to have him up there with you. Go do good things. And I just remember meeting Tom back then in, in that regard. And uh, But, you know, once again, truly meeting him, hanging out in that lounge. Him, you, I came through. Jackson came through. Larry eventually showed up. I think Cirillo was there. Was Columban there, too? I feel like he was around. Because he came up that semester with us as well. Yeah. He I'll... was another... I don't know if he was with us that night, though. Okay, but regardless, us and a bunch of other Suffolk guys hanging out, shooting the breeze. As we always, as we always uh-huh. do, and it's the one so- thing that we covet. Now. Exactly. Something that would go on to be a constant when all of us were there of at course. the same time. Yeah. Now, and you, since you are a transfer student, you probably move in a couple of days before classes yep. begin. Orientation, all that good stuff. Now... What is your first class, if you can remember? Uh, it was... I should have told you to bring... I, 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 yeah, I, I, one of my old schedules, right? Yeah, because that's where uh, Deets did. BRC 300 with Zenner at yes. <laughs> uh, 10.15 Monday morning. That's not bad. No. No, and since that's your, a broadcasting class and that's your first class... What are your first impressions of it when you first get there? Uh, I don't know if I can say first any more times than that, than yeah, that, than that idea. Yeah. Um, it just now I really felt like I was back in academia like I was in Cornell, just in a different sense because I'm studying something totally different. But uh, as far as what the class was all about, that class in particular, it wasn't anything that I didn't already know. It just was taking everything to the next level. There ended up being a lot of writing in that class and uh you know a lot of a lot of thinking a lot of group work a lot of presentations and was that the one you had to create a tv show it, based what, on a movie a net, uh, that and you also had to create a network right and what was your and what was your network that you came up with in your group uh the network was the gq network oh what was that what did that entail just uh you know, the modern male culture and just how to live, dress, date, etc., et cetera, et cetera. life. What? The, the articles of that magazine pretty much come to life. Uh, yeah. Uh, think of it as um a not crude Spike TV. Okay. Because, you know, the premise that Spike TV based themselves on, like, man, fighting, women, you know, like, when they, yeah, you know, like when they first started, it's like, no, we want a men's network that's more, you know, classier, refined. more refined. Yeah, there you go. That's a good word for it. And uh, just, you know, and we had show ideas. Of, let's just take 
popular male figures and let them talk about certain topics, whether it's clothes or whether it's travel or, you know, the life of an athlete, you know, things that would typically, uh, you know, appeal to that male 18 to 49 demo that, you know, everybody shoots for. But And, and the reason why I remember asking you those questions is because I was part of a focus group based right, on, on the right. TV show on a movie where you said like you end a continuation of Fight Club right. as a TV series which theoretically how TV is going today when it comes to dramas and stuff like that whether it be Netflix or any of the cable programs is something that could be viable today it now, really would like honestly uh I hope nobody too major listens to this I'm not going to lie it's steal my idea because I might run with it just <laughs> approach 20th Century Fox because they still own the rights to it and oh really the, yeah okay I, I, that's I'm pretty the... sure Fox is the network that we would theoretically have pitched it to just because it works yeah that way it's I don't just... think we did that on purpose though total crapshoot but it's like the only thing you have to worry about was it was the amount of violence allowed but then Gotham is pretty explicit but not like cable TV explicit with, with, with safe harbor hours now they're definitely pushing the boundaries and of course you know part of the specs of the project was that it had to be for a network I honestly would pitch it probably towards cable just yeah. to push it the boundary a little more of course because you take a look at some of these dramas that they have on cable networks nowadays that are awesome and like you know Walking Dead. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, American Horror Story, Breaking Bad, all these things that are, you know, or even like just imagine how well, if done right, that concept could take off on like an HBO. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I I mean, like, that's why that's why I love like I had this idea for another podcast. It would be like HBO versus AMC, Mm -hmm. which is the better cable provider. And one of the things you would have to take into effect is that how exclusive HBO is and right. how much they can get away with versus like, like you look at Sopranos, how many F-bombs are dropped in that per episode versus Breaking Bad could use it once a season and it's still bleeped. And then like, you look at the wire and how explicit that was, right. well, not, not, not in the wire, Oz and how explicit that was versus how explicit you could be, say in Mad Men, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. which we may end up still doing like, Breaking Bad versus Walking Dead. But then again, there's also, just to give credit to the people that worked on those AMC shows, it takes a certain amount of skill to be able to convey the same type of emotion without having the freedom to literally say just about anything that you want without offending people. So, you know, they both serve their purpose, but at least when it comes to the you know george carlin seven words you can say, uh, say you know you know what i mean uh you have to be pretty gifted to be able to not take advantage of that but also it serves its purpose too so, yeah you know that so many pros and cons once again something that we can all we can go off on a tangent and talk forever about but you know just fun ideas you know i appreciated that just in the academic world like i like the liberating freedom give us some structure but then let us run with it almost we had to convince center to allow us to do fight club because our window was a movie that had to have been at least 15 years old or older right when we did the project i think fight club was 14 and we're like come on Come on, it's a good idea, and he's like, "Yeah, do it." <laughs> and one one last thing we would say about that, that television is be like, limitations make you more creative, and so having those limitations, like you can't be that true, truly explicit. So you got like you're saying, 
convey more things. That's why I like I, a lot of things I don't like with Game of Thrones. It's like, like oh, it, it's a filler episode or it's weak boobs mm-hmm. and like uh, sex, uh, sex yeah. and uh, castration. Okay, yeah. and we have a weak story. Do we need that. this? Ca- Let's kill him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, like we don't need any really justification. So anyway, moving on. Yeah. What other classes do you have in your first semester? I, was, uh, I took media law. That's a big one for all of us broadcasting majors. Um, once again, you know, everybody called that probably the most challenging academic class in your time at Oswego. And I'd have to say that's probably true. But also, uh, having experienced academic challenges in the past, at the very least, I knew how to approach it better. And I didn't take it for granted, maybe how I might have approached some classes while I was at Cornell. Because when I went to Cornell, I all of a sudden became, you know, small fish in a big pond. Everybody else is just like me in their respective schools all over the world. Right. And then now you put us all into one place and then it gets super competitive. Right. Now it's, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash anybody or anything like that. But, like, I just... I had to put in the legwork, you know. I put in my due work. Yeah, I, you, you know, paid your I, dues. Yes, and I passed that class, you know. It, and not just passed that class, like I got an A in that class. A class that people fail many times over, yes. I got an A in that, and I'm happy that I did. And you, who did you take that with? I took that with Denny. You did take it with Denny, uh-huh. okay. Now, I'm going to say, were you part of that class with Tom... About sharing certain information of a previous semester, I was, but I wasn't involved in that. Okay, uh, I was just trying to make sure. I hope there's no statute of limitations on anything. Um, you learned that in that class, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> coincidentally. Uh, yeah, go figure. Catch me if you can. That's all I have to say. All my all the Oswego friends would get that joke. I downloaded that movie. <laughs> uh, what other classes besides those two? Did you take any like other remedial oh. classes that were not broadcasting related? What else did I take that semester? I honestly can't remember. Everything just starts to blur together. And also, I, don't, lines. I know you want it. I know you want it. Uh, <laughs> one asshole at McDonald's that had the three squad cars respond to. Because <laughs> he didn't get his order correctly. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. Uh, I base... My time at Oswego more around events that happened at TOP as opposed to what I took what semester. That's why everything starts to blur together. With that, with that incredible lead-in, what was your first experiences at TOP? Now that you're going there as a full-time student, um, my my first experience with seeing the entire station and just getting a feel for how everything ran was actually uh me and Jackson getting a tour of everything by Jared Lom. <laughs> Lol. Yeah, and, and then um, the next big person that we met there was a uh, Matt Bishop, of course, who was the GM at the. No, he was the. He was about to become the yeah, GM. Yeah, he was running for the the, the being boat. All right. Boat in for that year, for so, year. uh, you know, once again, showed us how everything works. Was very welcoming in the whole process, and uh, you know, uh. Me and Jackson set out with a goal that we would discuss privately amongst ourselves before we got to TOP. And because from all the stories that we heard 
of Al describing us, we go to us, was that uh, the overall whole of Suffolk people heading up there to the television station were being underutilized. So me and Jackson made it our mission to change that. Right. And uh, we each had uh, different approaches in doing so. Mm-hmm. Jackson's the kind of guy that will make friends with anybody. And okay. also, uh, very good talker, very convincing. Yes. Uh, and, you know, not in the, not in a bad way. I no, don't mean that, all. like, he doesn't, like, manipulate people, but, you know, he'll tell you exactly what he's thinking. He'll tell you straight up, and he'll find a way to get what he wants to. Yes. Me, personally, I'm not as, in that regard, I say, I, I guess, outspoken as he is, mm-hmm. but... For me, it was more fight, fight to get noticed, get a chance, and let what you do speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you picked your battles. Yes. So, uh, you know, it's a very yin and yang situation between us. You know, because right. uh, Jackson can, you know, the cons of the way that both. Of, of the both of us is that Jackson can definitely rub the people the wrong way yes. if he says something that you might not agree with. Yeah. I can go unnoticed just because that's my personality. Right. I don't You guys mis- compliment each other. That right. Way. So he would have my back in that he would be more vocal in fighting to get me opportunities. I would have his back by being more so a voice of reason to justify some of the ideas that he have that might not necessarily come out the right way if you were to offend somebody mm-hmm. and help people see the reason and logic behind what good ideas he would bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So once again, like you said, very complimentary and it just helped that both of us happened to have joined the TV station at the same time. So uh, our involvement at the station was this extent in our first semester. I was a field reporter for the news every other week. Mm -hmm. That was a very faulty system at the time, and I didn't get as much out of it as I would like. And Jackson was a teleprompter operator weekly. Both of us did not enjoy what we were doing. No. But we also knew that we came in in the middle of the year. Yeah. And there would be a changing of the guard and a new crew of people the following year. And we knew that we could definitely make a bigger impact in the fall. Mm-hmm. But we did what we could at the time. Started, you know, becoming friends both in the sense of, you know... This person's good to know with their position at the TV station, but legitimately become good friends with a lot of people. Also, mm-hmm. not to mention, unfortunately, we would be losing Cirillo, but we also knew that we would be gaining Deets, Tones, and Pup next semester. Right. Um, before, like one before next topic, I want to talk about this. Like one story that I think it was I'm pretty sure it was our first semester. It was a college football game that became a running joke between <laughs> us. <laughs> Explain to the audience what we're talking about. Uh, there's a yearly matchup that features Georgia Tech versus Virginia Tech. And 
abbreviated in the bottom bar of ESPN that we would constantly watch as a group. You yes. know, we would all get together and probably in Chase and Justin's suite. Watch we, PTI. Usually. We would be yeah watching, you know, PTI and um around the horn before we'd go to dinner when people were getting out of their, you know, 4.45 classes, getting back at 6 o'clock in that huge wave going to the dining hall. Right. But uh, we would see those abbreviations at the bottom of the screen, and, like, you know, you would usually be reading some director's book. I would be super focused on whatever topic that they would be talking about, but I'm pretty sure it went along the lines of we're just sitting next to each other, and I was just like, hey, Tim. What? I'm like... Look who's playing each other this weekend. It's Gatek versus Vatek. <laughs> who's gonna win? Ga, bitch. Ga. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we we always flip flop who we would pick. I don't know if we consistently. It just whichever team sounded more fun to say at that moment, whether yeah, it was Ga or Va. Va. I think, I think what Ga Va Ga. Yeah. Much so, like that. But after the ga- after the weekend was over, we would joke around. I was like, hey, Tim, guess who won that football game? Who won that football game? Ga. Ga. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And then like we were saying with having like Justin being up there and being in Chase's room and being very social. Now, one of the things that Oswego is known for is the I don't, want to, not, I don't want to use the word exuberant. It's like the multiple number of bars in a small town. There's was, a lot of bars. In a what small was town. first semester? What is your social um, status being going out to the bars like that? Um, there's the funny thing about that is the I fir- don't remember any of it. Blah. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, the first three times. That me and Jackson went out together to experience the college nightlife. There was always, or sorry, the first instance of us going out in our first three semesters there, right, involved some form of public urination. <laughs> that oh boy, I personally did not partake in said public urination, but there would be some. A uh, hilarious circumstance involving said fine, worthy offense. Meat. <laughs> Meat. Oh, Meat. Oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, jeepers. Um, <laughs> it's it's just one of those things that, like, what? If we're gonna talk about that, there's only one public urination story that needs to be told by you, because you were the witness of it, oh, and you were boy. the and you were the rightful mind party in that situation. Yeah. What am I talking about? There was one night in our second semester that me and Jackson, after leaving Hurricanes, which is about after walking, I don't know, a mile and a half from our dorms. It was a nice night. We were leaving relatively early. It was, I don't know, maybe 11 Mm o'clock. We decided, let's walk it. We didn't feel like shelling out the two bucks to take the bus back onto campus. So as we're walking, me and Jackson are just talking. He cuts me off at one point. He's like, oh, sorry, somebody's birthday. Need to call them. We have that phone call. Uh... You know, we get to McDonald's where we decide we would pick up some food for the road. Yep. Jackson runs into uh, one of his friends from home who just came up that semester. Her name's Jackie. And would be dubbed as Seneca Seneca Jackie. Because she lived in Seneca. You don't say. Yeah. It happens. (laughs) Um, So she had been out. This is the first time seeing him on campus. I met her. She was real happy to see him. She was heading back to campus. We got our food. Stood on the long line of many 
fellow intoxicated patrons, Iowa did not drink that night. Uh, Jackson was not heavily no, I think intoxicated. He had a, he had a you know, good buzz we were, on. Yeah. We're both 21. We both legally drank. No big deal. Yeah, Just throwing that out there yeah, for real. Like... You know, both of us are 21. We were responsible. Nobody did anything ridiculous. Didn't get behind the wheel of a car. Yeah, no. So, you know, we walked. So, yeah. you know, we're not dumb, but it's college, you know. So yeah, things like we, that happen. We went to a bar. We had so he, that night. I've had drinks at a bar. I'm of age. I can say that, you know. Yes. Uh, uh, he had a couple. Wasn't in any bad condition. We just decided to walk home, get some McDonald's, and continue on our trip. So... The funny part of the story starts happening now. Just, but remember all those additional parts. Um, it's all set up to be paid off later. Don't right. worry. So, uh, we we are no more than I don't know a hundred feet away from McDonald's, and that's when uh, Jackson decides. I changed my mind. I gotta use the bathroom. I'm like, bro, you could have just gone to the bathroom inside McDonald's. Why don't you just walk back? He's like, no, we're too far away. I'm like, but we really aren't. He's like. No, I'm just going to go in the bushes. And I'm like, okay. Oh, he's like, hold my food. I'm like, sure. I'm going to keep walking. And he's like, yeah, I'll catch up to you. Okay. So I'm walking. I take no more than four steps. And then I just see a police van drive right by me. And then that's when... The realization hits That's you. when I start backpedaling. I'm walking backwards to see what this police van does. Because... After the fact, I would realize that they clearly saw Jackson running into the bushes. So, as I'm backpedaling uphill now, looking at this cop car continue down the hill, before it even reaches the traffic light of that five-way intersection where the McDonald's is located, Mm -hmm. it does a hard U-turn, throws on his lights, and drives towards the bushes where Jackson was walking into. At this point, I stop my backpedaling, start walking back towards Jackson, and I'm like... Matt! Matt! And I hear him like, what? Keep walking! He doesn't listen to me because he was already taking care of business. Yes. And Jackson tells me after the fact, in his mind, he's like, keep walking. Why would I do that? (laughs) So that's when the police van comes up about, I don't know, 25 feet behind him, shines its high beams on him, and two guys get out of the car. Jackson immediately, kudos to him, uh, cut stream like that. He probably sobered up real quick with that. Zipped up. Yeah, he did. He, uh, <laughs> Jackson being the bold man that he is, actually had the cojones to tell the police officer, hey, could you uh, turn off the high beams? Like, that's unnecessary right now. <laughs> Something along those lines. I don't know this. I'm standing from afar, maybe like... 50 feet away from this whole situation unfolding. Right. Jackson is talking to one cop and the other one is, you know, just observing. He was there for the ride along. A second car shows up with just one officer in there. The ride along cop from the first car and the new cop that just pulled up started talking to each other. Right. 
And I'm still staying. I wasn't going to just leave Jackson and bail. No. But I also didn't want to approach the situation any closer because I didn't want to get involved and make anything seem a little shadier than it could have already been. Because I'm like, I don't deal with cops. I don't know what they're going to think of two random college students just walking down, going into the bushes, and they think they're doing Lord knows what. Right. So... I'm standing from afar. Those other two cops are talking to each other. One of them waves over at me and kind of indicates for me to walk on over. And we meet about halfway, both of them and just me. Mm-hmm. And one cop, uh, turns out he's apparently holding Jackson's PBA card that I didn't know he had. Yeah. But I'll get to that in a sec. And he's like, uh, hey, are you with him? And I said, yes, sir. Do you know what he was doing? I said, I do. And he's like, uh, all right. So, uh, I just have one question to ask you, son. And I'm like, yes, sir. Are you not good enough of a friend to let him know that the cops are about to come <laughs> over and bust his chops? And I was like, to be perfectly honest with you, I would have stopped him from doing so if I had seen you guys swing around earlier. Right. Because I genuinely did not see you. I know it's not the brightest move on either of our parts, but, you know, when nature calls... Sorry, that's yeah. that's the best explanation I can give you right now. And he's like, and they laugh it off, and they're like, okay, your buddy's going to be fine. He flashed us his PBA card. He just, you know, he's never done anything first offense. He's not drunk. I can tell that you aren't either. And I'm like, you're correct. <laughs> and he's like, he's just going to finish this conversation with the cop over there and with my partner over there, and you guys will be good to go. I'm like... Okay, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I was nervous for a second. He's like, come on, let's go over and see what's going on. I said, okay. So (laughs) me and these two cops are now walking over to Jackson, who's now already, you know, having a laugh with the cop. You know, they're already friends. Because that's what Jackson does. Yeah, he he got back his PBA card, uh, and they sent us on their way. They're like, just just head back to campus. Don't do anything else dumb. Have a good night. And we're like, of course. Have a good night, gentlemen. So that's when me and Jackson exchange pleasantries. He tells me about his bold turn down your headlights story i'm like only you would say that he's like i know but whatever i know how to deal i flashed this pba card jackson's like as of tonight i'm now a three for three with getting on incidents with my pba car i'm batting a thousand <laughs> and i'm like lucky you i if that was me i would have a 300 hundred dollar ticket right now as your dear friend cam's has for the same situation. But once again, that's another story. So we're continuing with our walk. We're just approaching the outskirts of campus. Jackson gets a phone call from Seneca Jackie, who's now uh, hysterically freaking out. Jackson's trying to figure out what's up. It's her first weekend on campus, and she's lost. Figures. So uh, she she was inebriated at this point, right? I plead the fifth. (laughs) And uh, so... Now me and Jackson are combining our efforts and trying to figure out where she is because we we waited online at McDonald's and also had to deal with this police situation beforehand. So we figured she might be really far, but she claims that she was in our area. After frantically yelling out to random strangers that were walking to campus and realizing that none of them are Jackie, me and Jackson finally met up again and couldn't figure out where she is so jackson called her back he's like describe exactly what you see right now she starts spouting out the names of all the buildings on central campus also saying that she's surrounded by a bunch of trees now 
there's a diagonal slight cobblestone pathway that is part of the path that leads to West Campus where our dorms were and Central Campus where all of the main buildings were. Right. So her in her current state said, uh, I'm lost in the forest. <laughs> Next to the building, next to one of the buildings known as Lanigan, Lanigan Hall. So then it was so dubbed then, as. So then me not being able to formulate proper words at that point, not in any drunken state, just in frustration and still being accustomed to the new campus. It's my second semester. I'm still kind of getting used to stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she's she's in the. She's in the Lanigan Forest before campus. You know what I'm talking about. Jackson's like, yeah, yeah, I know. He's like, you've been there the whole time. You're closer to campus than we are. Your building's like right there. Turn around. Which one is it? The really tall one if you would find if you just turn around. She's like, oh, I see it. Five minutes later, she's there. Yeah. Home back in Seneca before me and Jackson could even get to where she was being lost so that figured itself out after all of this we got back on campus with two cold bags of mcdonald's <laughs> that we would go on our separate ways jackson to his suite me back to my room in 311 to eat fall asleep wake up and proceed to share that story with everybody else the next day over brunch and the one thing is that, like Yes, I'm still part of this podcast. Don't worry. I didn't just like <laughs> abandon him and let him tell the story. Um, Tim fell asleep. I bored him. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that all happened in the Teats pod- podcast. Ba-doom-sh. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, you're saying like with the story time was definitely a big part of it, as well as all of our personal experiences at Oswego outside of any of the broadcasts we've done. Now, you're saying that like TOP is like, positions that you were at the first semester was not the greatest. So I'll just ask this. What was your favorite personal memory your first semester up in Oswego? Uh, Favorite personal memory first semester? Uh, Collectively, as a group, there would be lots of instances where we would just all put the time to hang out with each other and just do something fun as a group, whether Mm -hmm. it be a board game night, play pool or ping pong in our common area, hang out in the basement lounge that was so underutilized in our building. And some people would be playing pool. Some people would be watching TV. Some people would just be laughing. I would be one of the people just playing on the piano Mm because I have a really, you know, brief, you know, musical knowledge of the piano. And I would, you know, self-teach myself a lot of stuff. And we'd all just hang out and have a good time. Every once in a while we would uh, get together and play some basketball on the nicer weather days and you know like even even you would play with us and you're not you know an athletically outgoing person like a handful of others but you know it was just all in good fun and like you know it's just it's those memories that just help smooth the process into knowing that this is gonna be a cool place especially when you know you're making friends that you know are totally new in that regard like they don't have a similar background like us they're totally different majors they're from different parts of new york state and just you know you meet good people and you can never go wrong with that no and but like when when you're saying that there's being a cool place and when the the nicer weather days are there what are your feelings on at least how how did you react to how the cooler weather turned at the very at least 
that your first semester there. That is, it, you came in technically during the winter, even though it's called the spring semester. Right. Uh, on while I was moving in, there was a bunch of snow, but not terrible, unmanageable snow mm-hmm. as we would experience certain days. Uh, it turns out, uh, that first semester that we were there was one of the lighter winters in recent memory in Oswego history. Yes. Which would only be the precursor for the next two winters that I would experience being two of the worst winters ever in Oswego history. Oh, but, yes. you know, that's how the cookie crumbles. I guess. But, uh, you know, uh, I don't like the snow. I don't like the cold. But for the experience I was getting, I just sucked it up and lived with it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not the worst thing in the world. The Russian in me loves the snow. The <laughs> Haitian in me can't Hates. stand it. So... That 50-50 split kind of works in my favor no matter where I would end up. <laughs> right. Now, first semester ends and you're coming back for your second semester. What classes are you taking in your second semester while you're up there? Uh, Second semester, favorite class by far, sports broadcasting. And which entail, well, what were you doing in that class? Uh, learning how to be an on-air personality in the world of sports. And That was just goldmine. And who taught it? Uh, Jim Lurch. Lurch. Great professor. I don't think I don't think I I may have seen him in passing, but I don't think I ever really uh-huh. got introduced. He was to him. an adjunct professor that now is has more of a permanent and prominent role in the broadcasting uh department over in Oswego. Mm-hmm. That so much so that his course is now a permanent class there. I was in the early formative phase of his class being an upper division elective and now it's a permanent upper division elective for anybody that so chooses to take that class right it was just a great experience you know he has a on-air experience history you know working in the syracuse market he still has his own radio talk show in the syracuse market that he does all the time just very knowledgeable and it was just awesome you know doing play-by-play for a basketball game or sitting in front of you know, sitting on set doing a mock a sports highlight read, things like that. That's what we would be graded on. And I'm like, wow, once again, further pushing towards I can potentially do this. Right. So just further increasing my love of sports, love of broadcasting, all that, put it all together and great experience. Mm-hmm. Also leading me to uh, becoming his TA for that class for the next two semesters my last two semesters while i was there mm-hmm. and just awesome times now what other classes broadcasting wise did you take besides that uh that semester i believe i took broadcasting cable online right of just which a lot of people did i know i did right uh you know just providing the the ins and outs of how the broadcasting world works Programming being a big part of it, how right. the success and failure of certain shows on networks, right? How it's being, how it's led in, how how you lead out of it. Mm-hmm. There's 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 science behind it. There's theory behind it. There's a lot of a lot of thinking that goes into making everything work as well as it should and can. Yeah, I mean, look right now, like Supergirl had like one of the biggest debuts in the fall. On the major network, mm. but then it like kind of like dropped off. And really, it's kind, of, it's kind of found it's a little bit of its meniscus of how it is okay. right now. But fucking science terms into this. So <laughs> I don't think I've used the word meniscus since high school. <laughs> uh, but there's no lead in. You got as well as certain like uh, like in like really nothing big after it. It's like 
maybe Scorpion or something like that, but anything you think of certain like the late show or something like that, like if you don't have anything late in, I'm like, I'm not going to want to sit through the 11 o'clock news and get to a certain late show just to get to yours. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you got to have a certain way of building that. Right. I'm building, I'm building, I'm building. <laughs> um, and so what were, what were your TOP experiences in your second semester there? That's when things started to pick up. I was fortunate enough that, um, people around me decided to just give me an opportunity and that's all I wanted. I, uh, was able to uh have I was able to be the sports reporter uh every other week. I was able to have my own night of news that I directed. Mm-hmm. And uh then when it came to the sports department itself getting into basketball and hockey, you know, once again the peers around us that had already been there realized the the talent that me and everybody else from our program brought to the table and just helped up our game as a whole. Cause you know, we were looking at for ourselves, we were looking out for the better of the Suffolk group, but in the end, all of us just having that desire to do the best we possibly can with such a bigger, you know, a bigger network of resources than we had at Suffolk just purely because of, the reach that Oswego has, the alumni connections that Oswego has, et cetera, et cetera, to just, you know, take advantage of the opportunity that we have and run with it. Mm. So I found myself calling basketball and hockey and volleyball games. I found myself directing said games and working just about every position on all of these games as well. And, you know, just trying to be as productive, trying to be as contributive and trying to be as, supportive of all the people around me as well that all have you know their own personal goals but collectively putting out good television Mm -hmm. now were you a hockey fan going into Oswego I was not and now it's one of those things that since Oswego is a hockey school it definitely and it's so much love and support for that Oswego team men's and women's um teams I should say uh that it does make hockey fans of its alum alumni who who go there if they want to participate. Like I was not that big of a hockey fan going into it. I it's, I was an Islanders fan when I was a kid because those are the games I went to. And you were not a hockey fan when you started. What hockey team do you follow vigorously now? I'm a Ranger fan, and I am still an Islander fan. And the line in the sand has been drawn ever since. This is true, and fortunately, uh, it, it's a cool dynamic because there was. The ongoing verbal sparring between the Rangers, the Islanders, and Sabres fans that would be up in Oswego. Yeah, but the latter does not really count because, <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's it's like the pills. I'm sorry. Like, I know, and I know Ooh. everybody. And my brother loves I, I wasn't going to say that. They're a very passionate fan base. Thank you very much. Yeah, and you know what? Going back to the Sabres, I mean... Look at, like, what was that trip that Dan, I think, Banks, Tones, Deeds went to the, uh, the home? Listen, listen, they were tanking for McDavid, damn it. Uh, oh, and yeah. even that they couldn't win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they got Jack Eichel, so everything's okay. They couldn't hit water if they fell out of a goddamn boat in the middle of an ocean. But the water's frozen. <laughs> 
because it's Buffalo. That's why. No, because it's hockey. That's why. Moving on. I'm trying to defend Buffalo. You're welcome, anybody listening. I do like I, from like everything that Dan and I and all the people who are from Buffalo say. It's a very nice city and stuff like that, and it's produced some of the best people that I know coming from there. So I'm not hating on Buffalo. I'm just taking nice jabs to it. At least your town still has your hockey team. So us Islanders could say no, they're not on the island anymore. They're in Brooklyn. They're on the fucking island. They're still geographically attached to it. I'm sorry. It's not like they're playing in Manhattan, which I did have an idea. What if the Gardens share the Islanders and the Rangers, kind of like how they, uh, just like how the the Jets and uh, Giants all. I would throw up a little bit. I, I, I'd go to more games easier. I just have to hop on one train, not two. Anyway, Islanders. is that really the worst thing in the world? Because a lot of people complain about that. And I'm like, there are much bigger things that you can be complaining about. We could be the Kansas City Islanders. Exactly. Right now. But then again, we're the second lowest uh, attended uh, hockey team in the NHL currently at the at the recording of this. Today? So, yes. Really? That's Still? That, at least that's what Jackson, the information he gave to me, I think, the other day. Who's the lowest? I don't know. I, I think who's a really terrible team that probably no one wants the to go see? The Florida Panthers? Who aren't even bad anymore? They're like, but it's probably like playoff one. cusp. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, it's not a hockey town. No, it's not. It's I mean, uh, Arizona. No. I, they almost wound up in Quebec real soon. Yeah, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I am crossing my fingers for fucking Quebec, Quebec City. I'll take that over Las Vegas because nobody's going to go to a uh, hockey team in Las Vegas. I'm sorry, you guys can barely recycle water, let alone ice. Moving on. Now, <laughs> what would you say would be your biggest accomplishments, personal and broadcasting-wise, in your second semester? That would be fall of 2013. Yes. Uh, I, I felt appreciated by the people I was working with. Right. And that means a lot. You know, mm. I think everybody to some degree wants to feel appreciated it, it costs it, nothing to appreciate an artist whether it be a broadcaster or not right so that that went a long way for both just uh the direction i was heading in and my own self-esteem because mm-hmm. you know once again all of this is like a rebuilding process from let's take the bad experiences from cornell and blow it out of the water with what I do in Oswego. So all of this is just helping to change my sentiments towards going away to college. You know what I mean? Right. But, um, I'm thinking to myself one year in and I'm an analyst for the biggest hockey game that the school does. I got to be part of the talent for whiteout weekend in that mm-hmm. semester and uh you know right there in the perch with Lewindenbergen. And that was just and, awesome. And, but it's also like some of the best broadcasting you've ever done, but it's also one images that are burned into my memory there. It's the three of you during that that game specifically on the perch. And it's well, it's like that, and then I, and it's like during the media summit and seeing like I forget who the hell was Steve Levy, Steve Levy, uh, and at the shed and stuff like that with Lou Barelli and everyone else, mm-hmm. and like other images that there's just like going down to the lake with tones and just skip rocks and stuff like that because right. cause we're cool and like that, and we'll take really <laughs> sappy photos of the sunset because we think we're 
artsy artsy even though we <laughs> hate on artists yet we are we're more alike than we admit um and any other like personal memories that like stand out like a certain um, experience or such that semester was just good all around i don't know i fall semesters have always treated me better than spring semesters and i couldn't tell you why it's just how i think it's the weather it, it is a weird psychological thing of going into a cold region the beginning of the semester and how you move in and stuff like that moving to fall it's still hot for at least a month and a half mm-hmm. right so but uh regardless no that semester was just just a grand old time dude like because like you know we started to hang out a lot more yeah you would have your regular movie nights where sometimes it would just be let's watch this because screw it we're watching this to like yeah uh l- let's all come to a consensus on what arnold movie we want to watch yeah. or let's all come to a consensus on you know What's one movie that we all collectively haven't seen in a long time, you know? Right. Like, what's one movie that, you know, you being the movie buff that none of us have ever seen and you must show it to us immediately, you know what I mean? And one of those situations created such an effect on everybody that we had a floor hockey team dedicated to a movie. Right. Oh, the Alaskan flamethrowers. And oh. Only because we couldn't fit Amer- uh, Antarctica, Antarctica on a t-shirt. Right. I, I showed the group. <laughs> John Carpenter's The Thing, and it had such an effect on everybody, especially like, Mac needs the flamethrower, what? And then they're blasting these, these alien organisms away with the flamethrowers. Oh, man, that was a good time. Which, funny enough, I do have a funny story or a funny idea for a short film, I'll tell you off mic, that involves that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so that semester comes to an end. Ooh. Almost knocked off, knocked the recorder off the desk. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Extreme close up. Whoa. <laughs> Somebody who's listening, just like, oh, God, why? Why do you have to do that? Why did Rooney put the tremolo on the track? <laughs> <laughs> so, spring of 2014 has arrived. Right. My final semester there. Uh huh. And your second to last semester there. Yep. What classes are you taking then? Ugh, what classes am I taking? Like, what's it? I know, I, I, sale! <laughs> sale! I, I know I'm taking that online. Um, <laughs> Most likely to succeed in sales. <laughs> um, let me see. I am... Uh, that was one of the last broadcasting requirements when it came to courses that I had to take. I don't even know if I had any other broadcasting classes at that time. I know you were TAing at that point. I was, and that counted towards like an elective but uh you know i got to essentially experience sports broadcasting a second time over funny thing is i ended up being jackson's ta (laughs) and uh you know that made for some laughs (laughs) of course uh um oh let me see i i honestly couldn't tell you what other classes i was taking at the time they don't matter because uh, I don't say they don't matter. So that is the work outside of classes the things that we've been kind of like beating over the head with, with the audience is that the drive that we had outside of class, I think, definitely makes up over maybe our lack or memory of the classes that semester. Right. So, uh, and what were you doing at TUP at this point? Uh, dude, even more expansion. Like, if my role wasn't already a lot in the fall, it just got even bigger in the spring. Uh, I was able to start uh doing morning news 
Mm-hmm. They added an additional morning news broadcast on Wednesday on Wednesday mornings that they wanted me to be the anchor for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am not a morning person, but no. I said, you know, this is a great opportunity. You know, I'm not saying no to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was I was doing that. I was still directing the news. I had my weekly show. Uh, Larry was my TD for the news that semester, uh, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, I started to, I started to fill in for whatever was necessary for the playing field. You know, the premier sports, uh, original production at TOP. Sorry, OSU. I'm biased. uh, (laughs) At least you're honest about that. Yeah. But I'm biased about it, too. I've helped out with OSU, too, and I love those guys, but I'm a playing field kind of guy. Of course. But, uh, you know, I I helped out a lot with them. I got a title for the first time, you know, just expansion to the sports department. I was the sports original productions production assistant, the SOPA. The SOPA. So, uh, essentially, anybody decided to be lazy and not work their crew position for an orig- a sports original production, I had to find somebody to f- replace them. If not, I did it myself. So, once again, I was hustling like you wouldn't imagine that semester. As soon as you said that, it immediately just flashed us being in the suite. You were on your laptop trying to play this weird form of Jenga with an Excel sheet of uh, who's going to be a crew based upon the emails, like maybe up to maybe... Less than an hour before broadcast is supposed to be like even like maybe less than an hour than the crew call for any of these. Dude. And the certain venom that you had to some of the people who were very consistent in calling out that made you question why did you even take the position in the first place? I wanted a position. No, 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 saying yeah. like those, those people. Oh like yeah. That. No oh those yeah. You know. Some people don't treat what we do the way that we do. I no. Was, you know, I you know, you signed up for it, own up. Exactly. Up, you know, do do your job, you know. I didn't get the position that I wanted to initially and, you know, sorry, you know, I understand the people determining that at that point whether it would be they didn't they didn't think I was, you know, capable of being in that position or they just couldn't accommodate my request. Regardless, I didn't get it, but I fought until I did. Of course. You know, and if you really want to do it, I don't know. I just sometimes with the way that some people were so lax with how they treated, you know, their involvement in something that's not mandatory, but you signed up for it. Right. You know, you show an interest that have, you were going to participate. Have, yeah. Have some pride in it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I try to set the bar high. So well, otherwise, why do it? You're right. So, you know. And I ended up filling a lot for a lot of different shows and a lot of different people, once again causing me to do just about every crew position known to man. Right. And the adage is, like, if you want, when you're in hell, the, the saying is, keep going. Eventually you'll get out of it. And that's what it seemed like some of the situations were. Now, what would you say your favorite sports broadcasting moment of spring of 2014? Oh, uh... Oswego, not just not just sports, but any broadcasting moment in general. Uh, a couple. Um, one, Oswego hosted a basketball tournament that I was 
set to be the director for all of the basketball broadcasts on that day. Mm-hmm. We were live, constantly switching crew positions and talent for roughly about eight and a half hours. That we also had to coordinate our commercial breaks with the hockey games that were going on later that night, but I was in charge of that crew. Mm-hmm. And I directed, I think, four basketball games in a row, nonstop, for eight and a half hours. And that crew treated me well. I treated them well. I got everybody breakfast because I'm like, a, a non-hungry crew will be a happy crew. Oh, yeah. It was I the mean, least I could do. You know what I mean? That's in broadcast. That's in film. And like... that was like, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I just wanted to do that because I knew the people that they gave to me. It was either, one, they truly wanted to be there and I knew that I would get 100% for them, or two, they wanted to be doing something else, but... You know, they were put in this position and they were going to run with it anyway. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I'm like, guys, we're going to do this together and it's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. Right. So eight and a half hours later, you know, set up breakdown live broadcast. We were there the entire day, but it went without a hitch. And that was just awesome knowing that I could be a part of something that could go so smoothly when everybody is, you know, at their peak. Right. And that was off the mobile cart, right? Off the mobile cart. Yep. (laughs) But, you know, like I said, credit where credit is due. Every talent was on point that day. The games are entertaining. Every person working the crew was on point that day. I had a lot of help to make sure that everything went well. Mm. And you can't ask for more no matter what position you're doing. No. And what other other broadcasts that stood out to you other than the eight-hour day you spoke of? Oswego was a high enough seed and in the NCAA D3 tournament that year like they always are Mm -hmm. and uh they were able to host a game and we had the infamous do it for canales home playoff game (laughs) right so quick side story uh we were playing the bowden polar bears that came in on a very bad weather day and uh their bus traveling ended up crashing into the Italian restaurant in town, Canales. Nothing bad. Nobody was hurt. The building didn't suffer any damage except for, you know, you know, outside vanity purposes. You know, you can clearly tell that a bus hit the building, but no harm, no foul. So uh, the game, because of inclement weather and that scenario, got pushed back to an extra day. So I totally cut my last two classes to broadcast this game because instead of being a, I don't know, six o'clock game on a Tuesday afternoon, it ended up being a two o'clock game on a Wednesday afternoon. So it was kind of weird. Still got a packed crowd, even though, I don't know, maybe everybody was supposed to be in class, but you know, playoff hockey doesn't happen all the time in what's now the Murano Campus Center. So, uh, you know, once again, I was an analyst for that game, just, uh, Oswego ended up winning. Great time. They made it to the Frozen Four again that year. But uh, something that I keep to this day as a memento from, you know, working an NCAA broadcast is uh, the media pass that I got for that, you mm-hmm. know. And that's something that I'll keep forever. And it's like one of those things with that 
it became like a really like almost like a tall tale of like what happened there it was just like how much was this like did the bus go all the way through it i heard it went through the bu- went through the place blew up and then did a flip like something not really not that extreme but it was like one of those things like we're trying to find out what exactly happened a hilarious collegiate game of telephone oh for sure oh <laughs> And then, like, of course, like, the meat, like, we create our own so lives. A rallying cry was, do it for Canales. Do it for Canales. Ne- like always that. remember, never forget. <laughs> not to, you know. Take it away from real real time. Real, actual, you know, things that we should be honoring. But, you know, things happen. Yeah, no, yeah. within our world, that was a big event, especially for in conjunction with that game. Yeah, it's part of the culture. And, you know, it was just all in good fun. Of course. Know? And what was your favorite personal memory for that semester? Uh, hanging out as much as I could with you and Larry before you guys graduated. Oh, cause uh, shucks. No, honestly, uh, you, both of you were always two people that I knew I could trust and confide in in ways that I couldn't with other people. And uh, yes, we had a menage a trois that but nobody knew about. Yeah, <laughs> it was sexy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> Larry's facing the way the wrong way most of the time. So go figure. Yeah. Larry, Sebastian, Larry, Sebastian, Larry, Sebastian, bus driver. What? Larry? What? Yeah. <laughs> but but uh no, just uh you know uh. When you're go, when you're in college, especially when you go away in college, you know. Uh, no matter whether you end up being friends with the people in college forever, or you just needed those x amount of years together and nothing more out of it, you help each other get through it. No of matter course. what you're going through, because people will have things at home that they're dealing with people will have things of where you currently are that they have to deal with as well so you know we've all um the three of us especially have helped each other in our highs helped each other in our lows and you know seen each other at our best and worst but we all got through it we're all better and stronger because of it and i greatly appreciate those times that you were there for likewise likewise so uh you know but Enough of the sappy stuff, you know, yes. there was obviously a bunch of good stuff, you know. Me and Larry would uh, constantly be, you know, just watching sport of the day, hanging out with, uh, hanging out in his and Jackson's suite at that time. Larry chilling in his throne, <laughs> me with the chair that we totally stole from the lounge in Cayuga, but we returned at the end of the year. Not unscathed. broken. Yeah, yes. unscathed, no love juice stains on her. I like don't that. know. Jackson. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, more like this. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, me and Larry just bouncing ideas off of each other of how he should, you know, edit this piece that he's working on. Uh, you know, all that good stuff. Our, our common bond for, uh, Latino hip hop that, and neither of us are Hispanic whatsoever. But it, we just... it, it boggles the mind. <laughs> it truly. Oh, can I say me and me and Larry love ourselves some Daddy Yankee? Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's just all day, 
all day. And I, it's something that really just tilt at windmills at, especially like, especially, <laughs> you guys, especially like even like just like the wobble comes on and you guys always. Oh, don't get me started on the wobble. And, Anytime and, we would go out and that song comes on, me and Larry have to wobble for the next three and a half minutes. And it, it, it's always a showstopper because you guys always do it with such vigor and it's just like, all right, you guys don't Me do it doing half- my thing, Larry, have no idea what's going on. <laughs> And it's just one of those things that, it, like, everybody will stop and take notice of it and such. Oh, it's... that was our thing. That was, oh, good times. Now, you didn't work the broadcast, the graduation broadcast, which Larry and I walked to, I right? I did not. I was home. Now, Larry and I are gra- are about to graduate, or at least walk for it, because I still had online classes to do. And you're leaving. When did we say goodbye? I, I, I'm trying to think. What, what did you make your I was say? moving out. Brad and my aunt came to pick me up. Right. I was done packing. They had met Larry and Lewin in the lobby of Cayuga, and right. they were talking with them. I know you were hanging out in your suite that you'd finally gotten into Cayuga yes. near the end of your time in Oswego. Should have been so, having a lot sooner. Yeah, so I went over to Cayuga, knocked on your door. You were watching a movie. Shocker, I know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what movie it was, but I came. We spoke for, like, all of two minutes, but it's not like I wasn't going to see you again because we both live, like, 20 minutes away from each other on Long Island. Of course. So once again, first firm handshake thank you for everything i'm gonna miss you buddy my last semester isn't gonna be the same without you i will see you real soon when we get back on the island love you bro safe travels enjoy your graduation i left yeah it was and i shared the same sentiments with larry and lewand who are both on their ways out as well also you know i have to throw lewand in that category once again Best RA ever could not get through Oswego without his role in my collegiate time in Oswego and beyond. He probably saved us from so much trouble, too. He probably took so Total. many... So we many weren't po- bad. We were just freaking loud. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> and it's like one of those things I'm starting to... really. It's something that somebody presented earlier on. But we were our, slightly our own fraternity but yeah. without the hazing and douchebaggery. Some douchebaggery, <clears throat> Jackson. Sometimes, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take shot. I'm gonna shoot on him for that for a second. But yeah, we were, uh, we were Wumbo Tau Omnicron Fee. Saying ain't so. T.O.P. <laughs> and it's just like one of those things that like that were bonded Your love for life. is a heartbreaker. Oh. Yeah. Say it ain't so. My love is a life taker. Yeah, at least our parties didn't end at eleven o'clock and didn't let anybody else in. Fucking lame, stupid frat houses. <laughs> Worrying about the foo foo lames. We watched a lot of Tosh.0 oh in the suite. Yeah. Come to think of it, what's your second favorite automatopoeia? <laughs> <laughs> so much so that 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 segment ended up in during a broadcast. Who had just that came to visit? I forget. I think it may. I don't know. If it's Thanks cool. for letting me on your yatata. <laughs> All right, yeah, yatata, and I'm like, oh god, have it. and Justin just like doing his his seal clap as, <laughs> as he laughs. Oh, uh, I love the internet. <laughs> um, and so you go into your final semester, mm-hmm. and was it an easy easy? Classes wise, as well as where were you mentally going into it? Classes wise, it was a joke. My schedule was probably the best schedule I could have. I signed up 
for six classes and I only needed four. So I <laughs> said, I'm going to go to all of these classes one and drop the two that I don't want to take. The two that I ended up dropping ended up giving me Tuesdays and Thursdays off for the entire semester. My schedule was glorious. <laughs> I was taking hockey coaching, TAing counted as one of my classes. And the other two classes that I had, one was a creative writing class with Jackson. And, uh, uh, what was the last one? Uh, we, oh, the history of sports with Christopher Mack. It was a history class, not a broadcasting class, and it, Still. it was wonderful. Oh man! And now, as like each semester, your position at two B became higher and higher. Whether it be when it comes to responsibility, was that the case for this semester? Now, uh. Dietz was the sports director. Yeah, I know. How, how did I get that? Once again, brand new position just kind of got somewhat tweaked from a pre-existing position to fit my skill set. And it was – I was the live sports talent coordinator. Mm-hmm. So essentially I was there as an advisor as and as an aide for everybody that planned on being on air that semester for whatever sport it was. So right. It was just me essentially uh, – trying to give anybody pointers when it both came to, I don't know, presentation, dress, you know, whatever I could do to help anybody out when it came to, you know, being on air for a sporting event. And, you know, just everybody has a different, a different, um, you know, has a different realm of knowledge when it comes to this area and there's not one necessarily right way or wrong way. And I'm very far from knowing all there is to know, but if I could just give somebody a different perspective and maybe open their eyes to something different or just help them develop their craft a little better, Mm -hmm. I was doing my job. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I honestly wish that I could have helped out more with said position if I wasn't just so thoroughly involved myself, because in my last semester, considering that, you know, I had to do it right, I had to do it big, I took up uh, more opportunities that I had before, and TOP-wise, it was my most involved but most rewarding semester of all of them, and I wouldn't have it any other way, because... I still had my nightly news that I directed. I had Thursday nights, and Blaze was my TD now, which having him and Larry back-to-back semesters was just wonderful. I was a sports reporter on Sunday nights, the night that Jackson directed, so that was wonderful. Uh, With the regular host of the playing field, Alicia D'Addario, having an awesome internship at ESPN that semester. Mm -hmm. Dan, I, and Matt Stone needed a new host, and they asked me to do it, and I absolutely accepted in a heartbeat. And that was a wonderful experience, just giving a different dynamic to that show. Right. And I'd like to think that our trio is, at the very least, the second best combination of people on that show because you know i think you know alicia wasn't the first host of that show but i think the classic lineup of the playing field is alicia dan and matt right and you know i filled in as you know somebody that would argue before and then i had the hosting gig the entire semester and matt bishop was the host for a semester as well and you know we would have Mitch on the show, we had 
uh, our current sports director, Matt Moran, up in Oswego, arguing on the show, finally did that playing field OSU crossover episode, and that was just a blast. Um, you know, uh, all those, all those wonderful things. I became the the morning news anchor alongside Molly Matat, who is now killing it as a, you know, a real world professional meteorologist in Syracuse. And, mm-hmm. you know, no matter where I end up, I will always be able to say, you know, before she becomes as big as Al Roker, like yeah. I anchored with her. So exactly. So, you know, I did it first. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, of all that, all those new positions that you take on, what can you pinpoint one memory that stands out? One broadcaster to say is like, that's the best one from that semester. The Frozen Dome. I figured as much. It, you know, uh, when it was confirmed that Oswego was going to be playing Utica inside the Carrier Dome as the precursor to the Syracuse Crunch, and I don't remember Utica's AHL team's name, but, you know, it was supposed to break all indoor records for uh you know an ahl hockey game a d3 hockey game mm-hmm. and uh strings are pulled phone calls are made in the end top was able to broadcast it and you know we needed to have the best crew and the best lineup at that point out there doing everything necessary to make the show be the greatest thing from top to that date and i was the host of it Mm -hmm. and the host role wasn't really something in the grand scheme of all the different positions for a live hockey broadcast i never really saw myself as the host and then after trying it out a couple of times that semester it really became my own thing you know it worked for me it was right it was good to be in that position and I got to do that for that broadcast. And I just uh, remember all the prep work that we put into to have as much pre-produced stuff as we could for that game. I remember working really hard on creating a new music track for Hockey Night in Oswego that was used for the last semester I was there as well as the semester following. Mm. I remember working on the new open video. We just wanted to rebrand it and make it ours for at least that year. Yeah. I remember uh, helping with some of the pre-produced stuff for that broadcast. I remember the night before on the hockey game where we had everybody that was working the frozen dome game in the same position, except at the campus center just essentially as a dress rehearsal for what we would experience the following day. Right. I remember, you know, having a strict curfew. Nobody's allowed to go out. We all have to be up really early to get to Syracuse. Yeah. I remember not being able to sleep whatsoever and maybe sleeping for all of an hour before we actually departed just mm-hmm. from nerves. my nerves. Yeah. Um, Which I know the nerves did, especially that broadcast, it really, with Dietz being the sports director, like he... Loves that broadcast, but it's also like one of those most challenging things and most frustrating things. He had all the hoops that had to be right. jumped through to get right. that broad that broadcast off the ground, which I can appreciate it. But since you are in a different position, it definitely seems like you have fonder memories of that broadcast than he does. Yeah, it might not be such. Maybe in due time, he'll realize what he helped put together, and he deserves every bit of credit. 
for helping make that happen because I wasn't in that position, but, you know, given what I had to do, I did everything that I could to make it the best that I could do at that point because mm-hmm. that is still to this day the biggest thing that I have worked on mm-hmm. as an on-air talent at least and uh I remember before we went live you know our number one supporter and best alumni for Oswego Lou Borelli who was there for the broadcast told me you know this is your time make it yours do your thing and everything will be great you know something along those lines I don't remember his exact words but, but you, you, know, you, you remember it, the sentiment yeah uh, just helped motivate me. Of course, there were flubs. We're college students, but, you know, we go out there with the intention of knocking it out of the park all the time. Of course. Oswego and Utica had an amazing game that went to overtime and finished in a tie. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what the outcome of the game would have been, just everybody involved in how much work we put into that broadcast to have it end up being not only streamed online, but also shown in the area on public access and working with a time Warner cable sports truck and just being in the carrier dome, getting a chance to say, you know, I broadcasted from the carrier dome is not something that, Unless you go to Syracuse, yeah. that collegiate stu- people, collegiate students, collegiate broadcasters get to say. Yeah. And uh, there were um, a bunch of rogue pucks from practice earlier that had flown into the bleachers that were set up for the game. Uh, On purpose? No. You know, just players warming up. Yeah. Shots hit crossbars, hit off glass, fly out of the field of play. Uh, Jackson and Morgan Rumpf went around collecting all of those pucks and started divvying them out to everybody as, you know, mementos, souvenirs for the day's events. And after finding out that that was a thing that happened and I wasn't able to get my hands on one, I was kind of genuinely upset. I'm like, oh, that would have been an awesome token of memory for the day's events. And then that's when, uh... After the broadcast was over and we had gotten back to our suite on campus, Jackson's like, hey, here, and throws me a puck. And I'm like, what's this? He's like, it's one of the rogue pucks from the Carrier Dome before the broadcast. I grabbed you one and saved it for you. There you go. And I'm like, crap. Like, <laughs> thank you so much. Like, that yeah. That meant a lot, like, more than he even knows. And Until like, he listens to this. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we also... Which he does. We, he listens to all of the ones we do. We we got uh, media credentials, and coincidentally, the sticker, you know, real simple, that I had on me all day until we went live. I obviously had to take it off, but it was the exact size of a hockey puck. So I took my credential, I put it on my puck, and once again, it is stored away in my box of mementos mm-hmm. as, like... The final, um, the final thing to, you know, sum up my entire time in Oswego. We had one more broadcast after that, and I got to be play-by-play for the rematch of the SUNYAC championship between Oswego and Geneseo 
it was the day before Thanksgiving. The crowd wasn't as big. The broadcast wasn't as heavily crude as it usually is, but it didn't matter. It was my last broadcast. A lot of people had already checked out because, you know, it's kind of tough to top the Frozen Dome. But It was the Godfather 3 right. of a broadcast of that semester. show must go on. Yeah. It was only my second time being able to be the play-by-play for a men's hockey game. Yeah, the first one being? Earlier in the semester during Parents' Weekend, I got to be play-by-play for a game that Oswego won 9-1 over... Um, the Canton Kangaroos, I believe. Okay. And, uh, so I got to do play-by-play for the second game. Dan I was my color commentator, and Blaze was the director. And Oswego lost that game, and... All of this, you know, one of the obligations that we put on the play-by-play person was to um, edit highlights of the game after the fact, which I did even though I had a bus to catch out of Syracuse at about, I don't know, one thirty in the morning. <laughs> so uh, I cut those highlights. I was already packed to go home. But when we were talking about that being the last broadcast of the semester, it was that it was then that it hit me that that was my last Oswego broadcast ever. My last Oswego hockey broadcast, at least. Yeah. My last broadcast for Oswego ever ended up being the playing field that Sunday night after Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, after that last hockey game was the first time that I almost broke down into tears, realizing that, you know, that was all done. But, you know, I got through that post-game speech it me being the senior and it being my last hockey game i cut the highlights i ran back to my dorm blaze gave me a ride to syracuse since he lives like 10 minutes away from the station got on my bus came home for thanksgiving went back up and enjoyed my last two weeks in oswego any favorite personal memory of that semester um working the media summit and getting to be on the today show with al roker Mm -hmm. And how how uh, was Al when you finally got to meet him? Uh, he is exactly as vibrant as you see him <laughs> on television, even though it was six in the morning or something ridiculous like that. I was at T.O.P. at quarter to four in the morning that day. Right. Just so that I could be an extra for his segments that he would be doing for his Weather Channel show, Wake Up With Al, as well as the Today Show. And when he did his bit for the Today Show and he came into the... TV station, he walked in, this TV station being named after him. Uh, he called me his mini-me. <laughs> uh, he did his actual weather report live, sat down at the corner of the desk, and did his best Ron Burgundy impersonation. <laughs> and then, totally impromptu, not planned at all, called me out and said, I want to see yours, mini-me, let's do it. You know. Oh, God. And so, on national TV on the Today Show... I did my Ron Burgundy pose at the corner of the desk. You know, everybody got a good laugh of it. <laughs> he threw it to commercial break after that. And, uh, you know, I said, hey, thank you so much. Shook his hand one more time. And he went back off doing his thing because he was doing a lot of live weather hits from Oswego. Yeah, he did a the lot turnout of for him coming back to Oz was huge. And just being a broadcasting student, getting to sh- experience that moment, like, you know, 
I've, I've, those I met Steve Levy. I work with Steve Levy. I broadcasted in my carrier dome. I broadcasted in the Syracuse carrier dome and I was on the today show with Al Roker all in the span of four months. So you could say that would be your best semester. Yes. Would you say it's your favorite semester? Yes. It was bittersweet. There's so many people that, you know, I had good memories with and I miss them all. And there's so many people that had graduated, obviously, before that semester that I greatly missed and wished, you know, things would have timed out. You don't have to say that just because you're on my show. No, but it's true. It's true. You know, I'm upset that I only got to experience one semester with Cirillo, but it was his last semester and you know one's better than none of course i'm glad that uh you know i the timing of my transfer up there resulted in me and jackson having the same two years in oswego and you know us being total yin and yang like i mentioned earlier it's the perfect complement to those two years because we are totally different people we are like oil and water but in this case opposites attract like we constantly joke and you know you're in on this joke of how we would be having dinner in the dining hall and we're like my god if we all went to high school together we would all hate Hate each each other other. we would not hang out with each other at all but you connect us all with this broadcasting passion that we all have and you know we're just we make magic a motley crew of goons you know (laughs) <laughs> graduation oof how's that week and then the actual ceremony uh, all the things that involved. uh jackson didn't walk he ended up walking in the big one later on in may but i walked in december um i uh i walked with blaze blaze didn't sit with me though he had he had a part in the actual graduation ceremony so he was off on the side doing his own thing. I got to sit with Benny Blue, who I became really close with in the last couple of months while we were there. You know, we had already known each other from, you know, his super fandom of the hockey team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he broadcasted with us. We did the Frozen Dome game together. We went out together. We hung out together. And, you know, it's free seating. It's however you walk in. You're going to sit down next to those people. Yeah. I sat next to him and, you know, just on that last day, like, you know, we shared some of our past and how we got to this point. You know, everybody has a story. And, yeah. you know, everybody has an interesting story. And it's funny how your paths can cross with some other people. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to tell you his story, but, you know, everybody has their own personal struggles that they have to overcome to get to where they are now and you know he was just telling me essentially in a nutshell he's like wow i can't believe i made it this far and i said you know it's never easy but all that matters is that you know we're here here." and that's that what happens next is you know who knows but let's make it as awesome as we did oswego right so uh we're sitting down on the ice that is obviously covered up now but on the same ice that I have broadcasted dozens of games in my time in Oswego and I'm like oh my god I'm graduating like this is what I've been looking for since I went to Cornell about I don't know five and a half six years earlier with the time off I don't know I didn't add that up right but yeah. just about right so uh as with every graduation ceremony, they do the national anthem, 
And before hockey games, they have the recording of the Oswego Chamber Choir doing the Canadian and American National Anthems. And they didn't play that recording for graduation. They had somebody who did a very nice live rendition of it. But I said, me standing out there on the ice for the longest time, me being a broadcaster, broadcasting these games, watching these hockey athletes, these men and women stand on the blue lines towards the flags hanging up in the campus center, you know, just as that regular sign of respect before any public gathering to be in that position, facing the same direction, looking at the same flags, except now being in that spot in a totally different sense. If they played that recording of the chamber choir's version of the national anthem, I probably would have just broken down into tears right there just out of sheer happiness that I got there you know and uh when I was walking up to actually shake President Stanley's hand and get my diploma or you know the case that holds the diploma you get it after the fact of course uh that's when I started to get a little emotional. I took like the worst picture ever. I didn't even know like the graduation picture was being done literally two seconds before you walked on stage. So it's like, it's not a good picture of me. I don't like it, Right. but I've come to accept it. But you know, it has, it has its place. It has a special memory and, uh, you know, finished graduation, you know, that's when I started to just, cry like a little baby <laughs> you know uh me and blaze teared up like we've never done before we stopped by top one more time said goodbye to all the people that stuck around to work that broadcast i eventually met back up with my family we went back to the hotel that they were staying at because we weren't gonna i was gonna you know they didn't want to do the drive up from long island and then back to long island essentially in back-to-back days yeah so they were up Friday, grad Saturday was graduation. I went back to my hotel room. I slept all of two hours the night before because I was just hanging out at L6 with a handful of people. Uh, so when I got back to the hotel room and I changed, I fell asleep from like about 2.30 to, I don't know, 8 o'clock at night. Mm. Got some dinner with my Uncle Brad. Uh, my mom and my aunt, who were also there, they had already essentially called it a night. Um... By the time me and Brad got back from dinner, he went to sleep, but I was still awake because I just slept essentially a night's worth in the middle of the day. Right. But uh, the Rangers were on the West Coast playing Vancouver, sat up to watch that game, which they won. You didn't go to the shed or anything like that? I didn't. Okay. No. And uh, next morning, drove home, drove home from Oswego, and I only went back and visited one more time for Whiteout in the following semester, and... Uh, it wasn't the greatest trip of all time. I'm not gonna lie. It's weird. Like the, 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 it just reassured the fact that it was time for me to be done with college. Yeah, it's like the sentiment that I, I brought up when I visited. Like the first time I visited, it was literally like right afterwards. It was Larry, Justin, and I, and we we're just like being the bunch of goons that we are. He just you visited had, us, and I honestly wish we could have hung out more, but I had television responsibilities. That's to, that. Don't feel bad about that, dude. I, I understand. If I didn't understand that, I would have been a petulant child and bitch the entire time I wasn't seeing you. But it's – and I know Justin felt like this. It's like you can't go home again. 
and it was a certain the, the, the word I used. I felt hollow the last time I went in September. Nothing against any of the people I saw or hung out with. I had a great time, but I'm just sitting there in the shed, and it was just like it's not the same. No, and I don't know if I'd want to be in a position where I cling on to that too hard. No, college serves its purpose. I recommend anybody that gets the awesome opportunity to go to college to experience it away from home because I think it's something that everybody should have that experience as because you end up learning a lot about the world, a lot about other people, and a lot about yourself all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if you can make it through that, you know, it's a good stepping stone for the harsh realities of life, but how awesome things can be too, you know what I mean? Which seems to be in your favor currently because for those who don't know what what are your big plans currently uh to sum up my time since graduation in a nutshell uh i've always been able to go back to my teaching opportunity at my martial arts studio where i've been training for the better part of 11 years uh that i did a couple of freelance stuff i ended up picking up two additional part-time broadcasting related jobs but nothing until Nothing like what I just recently landed, uh, thanks to the help of some of my closest Oswego friends, Matt Bishop, Blaze Hill, and Matt Jackson, helping me just get my foot in the door, all three of them being directors at the CBS affiliate in Albany. You can call me the fourth one as of November 30th. Which I was, and I, I may have told you this, but like, when you sent that text, when like to the group chat, like saying like I I got that job, I was immediately happy, and I got hit with a wave of sadness because I'm just like, there's another one going up to Albany and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it's like somebody who I don't have like an arm's reach anymore, and I was saying like clinging to the others and stuff like that. Like now knowing that Jackson's in Albany. Him and I talk more than when he was at New Line when he was on the island. Right. And, like, last night he was he texting me, like, play-by-play play of him watching Rain Man for the first time and seeing Dustin Hoffman's performance with, with a very also very young Tom Cruise is blowing his mind. I'm just like, dude, I wish I was just sitting there with you watching this right now. And I know it's going to be, like, one of those things now that you being up in Albany, and I know you're going to kick ass there, and you're just going to make Al, you're going to make... And you're going to make Lou Borelli and everybody at Oswego really proud being there. And I know that because if anything that these people listen to this podcast knows that he's out, this Sebastian's obviously, obviously pushed himself, pushed himself to a point that he won't accept anything. Like if he'll have a certain level of what he expects from him when it comes to a broadcast. And I know you're just going to do a fantastic job there. Thank you. And I'm going to do my damnness to be up there, visit hopefully early 2016, because I know Justin's got some free time. So mm. <clears throat> the Hobbit, <clears throat> excuse me, the Hobbit and I will jump in the uh, geek mobile and be like, Duh, come on, come on, JJ, let's get in the cut. Like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> For three and a half hours <laughs> until you hit Albany. And we'll just like, wheels up, let's go round and round. <laughs> going going up to there <laughs> and then we'll just paint we'll paint schenectady red mm. in our in our visit and is there any last thoughts that you want to convey on this podcast which is now technically my longest interview ever even longer than the interview i did oh, with oliver wow. harper over the summer currently you're at two hours and 36 minutes wow yes well uh, i have sorry I have, deets you've I, been dethroned <laughs> 
I have work in eight in the morning. <laughs> yes, uh, seven hours. Lovely. Uh, no, but uh, first off, thanks for having me. Of course, Sue. Thank you it's, for being on. It's uh, it's wonderful to get to talk about this. Not all the time. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I think of that Troy Aikman commercial. It's like I don't dwell on the past, and then all of a sudden, ringtone is like, like Oswego hits the post with the shot. Oswego hits the post with the shot. I dwell on the past. No, <laughs> if this podcast proves anything, well, of yeah. course we dwell on the yeah, past. No, yeah, but you know, like it's good to have all those memories, and it's even better to be friends and make connections with all these people. But I think you know we were having this conversation before we actually went live recording this podcast. You know, the goal is to always just keep going for something greater. Yes, you know, always pushing to achieve that dream, and you know dreams change your reality changes too of course you have to find some happy medium between what's realistically possible but where you want to end up and you know i think and this goes for anybody no matter what field or profession or what where you find yourself in your life if every day you take a little step towards making your dream and reality overlap a little more, you know, it's a good day. Yes. And, uh, I feel like at least for me personally, I'm taking a big step in that direction by taking advantage of this opportunity. You know, uh, it's funny. I was having conversations with other people in the broadcasting field lately. You know, those that have had experiences, well beyond my years for the time being and they're like you know it's who you know that'll get you in the door but it's what you do that'll keep you there keep you there and get you even further so you know i i can't say enough how much i appreciate my friends up in albany helping me get to that spot to join them to work alongside them to learn the ropes from them and then run with it because that's exactly what I intend on doing. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad that I've had enough of a lasting image or influence on these people to be willing to support me, to help me get this opportunity. And, you know, obviously it's good to know people, but after... All I've ever wanted is just a chance, you know? And now that I have this chance, I can't let it slide. Because I know there's a handful of people that, you know, have been lucky enough or are lucky enough to not have to deal with some of the personal struggles that I've had to deal with. But they have their own personal struggles that they have to overcome. And I know that there's a hell of a lot of other people that are in significantly worse or more challenging or difficult situations that I am in. Mm -hmm. And I'm blessed and grateful that I don't have to deal with 99% of those problems because I couldn't imagine how I would handle them. But, you know, like I said, everybody has their own set of obstacles that they have to overcome. And, you know, I'm glad to be saying that with this, it's a step towards 
putting all of those obstacles behind me and maybe encountering new obstacles. But hey, if I'm encountering new obstacles, that means at least I'm moving forward and I'm going to take those challenges head on and do what I've done before and find some way to make it work for me. And I think the perfect way to end this podcast is to quote the great poet, Jay-Z. You got 99 problems right now, but the job ain't one. And then that job's going to lead to a future. And there's only one other way to, to properly end this podcast. Handshake. Hold on. Hold on. Mm. All right. Now, for people who've made it this far, if you made it this far, God bless you. Because <laughs> if you want people to follow you, Sebastian, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Sebas EDM, S-E-B-A-S-S-E-D-M. Uh, I talk uh, about everything. I yeah, I talk <laughs> about everything from sports to music to rants about how my sports teams frustrate me and a lot of pro In wrestling too because I'm a huge fan. Sports entertainment, it's pro wrestling. It's still real to me, damn it. You uh, know. Wrestling was what my father did. I, I'm in the sports entertainment yeah. industry. Well, God damn it, I don't know what you're kind of <laughs> God flame with those. You doing. know what I mean. But, you know, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, you say where to reach me. My goal is to make it so that I'm very easily seen. You know, I want to be, I want to be that guy that ends up being, you know, I remember him when. Uh, who doesn't want their name in the same conversation as Al Roker and Steve Levy and Linda Cohen and the Luberellis of the world? Am I right? Of course. So, so if you want to find me, you can follow me at Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two. You can obviously follow this podcast on SoundCloud.com. You can follow my YouTube page called Through the Lens Productions with my latest short film Halloween Reborn is up, as well as other future projects that I have in the pipeline. Hopefully, I'll get at least one more. Uh, I know I have a sketch comedy one that I'm probably, we're probably shooting next week on Black Friday because I'm going to be creative on Black Friday. I'm not going to be uh, a person who goes out and spends a lot of money for people I don't love for things, buying things I don't buy. Uh, I'm getting a television head. <laughs> Which uh, I remember months ago, I texted Larry like, dude, let's take a shitload of pregame. Uh, pre-workout, I should say, and then go to Black Friday shopping <laughs> and just be like, oh! and just start bench-pressing people trying to get the waffle maker and stuff Just like remember that. your post-workout protein shake is just your next workout's pre-workout. <laughs> Hashtag a leg day. <laughs> and, I, and I hopefully get one more short in before Christmas and stuff like that. Hopefully it's going to be Christmas-themed. And I had this idea struck me that's really screwed up, and it's probably the darkest thing I've done this far. And I hopefully I'll have it out by Christmas. We'll hope. Yay! How to celebrate uh, Christmas other than really cra- with really messed up stuff. And I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast. And I'll be talking to you very soon. <laughs>